0: Thank you.
1: Tanaks to Mente. Tonight's guest is author and journalist Teresa Inaros. Teresa is an advocate for spiritual enlightenment. In 2016, she founded Divine Frequency in order to share inspirational perspectives with the world. Since then, she has expanded her vision into fully collaborative projects with other inspired souls worldwide. She spreads a message of personal empowerment through her YouTube channel, Divine Frequency, and provides spiritual coaching to assist the co-creative consciousness in manifesting a positive future. Teresa, welcome to NoxMente.
0: Thank you so much for having me. Great to be here. Thanks for coming on, Teresa. This is going to be a delight. Thank you. Super (laughs) excited to be here. All right. Let's just dive right into it. So let's look back to young Teresa, the earliest memories you can... What happened? Stream died. Oh, my God. Teresa, your energy... (laughs) (laughs) you're blowing the circuits it looks like it's seeing live
1: oh there's a 30 second buffer okay it's gone sorry
0: all right back to the early um earliest memories you have and um not just anything that actually sticks out from your childhood um including anything that might have been fearful so since this is about dreams things that that kind of tie into young children with like fear of under the bed or in the closet um pop culture stuff like cartoons or movies you like did you have a good relationship with nature that kind of stuff
2: this is great it's like it's like going to see a psychologist this is gonna be fun so <laughs> yeah let's let's dive into to teresa okay let's see i was born in florida i lived in england for three years And one of my fondest memories from England was when my mom used to ride me to school on her bicycle in the mornings. I think I was three and we would go by this butterfly tree. I called it the butterfly tree because it was always filled with butterflies. And I had uh, an issue with my mom leaving me at school. I would get separation anxiety from my mom. I didn't want her to leave. And And so after me just always melting down and crying, she finally bribed me with, I would either get a sticker or a lollipop after school uh, if I didn't cry when she dropped me off at school. And so I would always choose the sticker and these weren't just any stickers. These were like the coolest stickers ever and they were fuzzy and I would put them in sticker books. And so I remember that was really cool. And then we moved to Virginia and when we moved to Virginia, I was always outside. So I was raised in a household where my parents were both Catholic. And we didn't watch a whole lot of TV, really. It was all about going outside and really being around siblings. I have two older sisters and a younger brother. And I was always in the forest. We had a forest behind our house. And I was an obsessive writer. As soon as I could write, I was writing. I have journals upon journals upon journals. And I would go into the forest and I would try to get lost. And I would climb up the trees and I would sit there and I would write in my books. And... That was just such a wonderful life. And I was always barefoot. I was just a little barefoot fairy kid running around in the forest. And I was definitely afraid of closets. Um, I think most kids are. I remember one time I went into a closet as a kid and I fell and I I uh, scraped my knee on something that was in the closet. So maybe that had something to do with it. But there was also a really interesting thing that happened to me when I was about seven. I know that we all have our fantastical memories from being a child because back then, you know, you're really untethered from, you know, what's real, what's imaginary, what's what's going on, you know, it's before those uh, pathways are really solidified in the brain. And I remember one night, I saw something under my bed, and it looked like a portal, it looked like the ground was moving, and it was a circle, and it was w- coming out in waves on the carpet. And I remember staring at it, and it was getting bigger and bigger. And it freaked me out so much that I ju- jumped, jumped all the way over, I sailed over that portal-looking thing, and I ran into my mom's room. But I'll never forget that. That that thing really freaked me out.
1: <laughs> were you comfortably oh, wow. numb at the time?
2: Comfortably numb. Good song.
1: Well, you said you were coming out in waves. It's like there's a line in that song: you're "Coming, you're coming through <laughs> oh, in waves."
2: Yeah. <laughs> huh. It's a really good song. <laughs> Are you a musician? You must be a musician.
1: I am not.
0: No, oh. he's just the man. I'm, of I'm like a geek. Trivia. Remember. Yes. Nice. I, I
1: write books and program
0: you like game of thrones never saw it i do really? i'm a
1: huge <laughs> fan
2: yeah by the way me too yeah <laughs> that's how you say my last name it's it's yonaris it's daenerys
0: with a y Ooh, good way the, to greek look at is at a greek too. yep greek mm. i love and she's my favorite as well of course she's daenerys stormborn yes powerful woman gotta love those powerful women right that scene where she came out of the, you know, with the fire all around her when she put all that down, amazing. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> we're like the transformation, the Phoenix tour. moment. Right. That was totally exactly what it was. Um, okay, so back there, I love this barefoot thing. Me too, always, always barefoot. Do you in this early period of your life, do you remember having um dream were you a child that dreamed a lot? I definitely was a child that dreamed a lot. I remember my very first dream actually.
2: And it's kind of funny because it's completely insignificant. But the only thing that made it significant was that I knew I was dreaming and I was so excited that I was dreaming because I always heard about dreams, but then I had one and I was laying in my bed and I was looking at my ceiling, but I was dreaming (laughs) and there was a mosquito on the ceiling. And I remember I was just looking at the mosquito and I'm sitting there going, this is really cool. I'm dreaming right now. And I just remember that was the very first dream that I remembered having. I think I was like, maybe six. But yeah, I I always cataloged everything. I always wrote everything down. I I've always been an obsessive writer. I always uh, my excuse is that I have a horrible memory, which is why I write everything down, but then I learned recently that I think that's just an excuse. I just <laughs> it's that OCD part of me that I like to write things down. But yeah, I used to dream a lot as a child and actually my dreams significantly increased around the age of 19 and since then my dreams have actually been even more intense. I would say. Oh, cool. Okay, we'll How get so?
0: we'll get there.
1: Oh.
0: Oh, teaser! <laughs> we got pulled back. It was a good question. For you. Sorry, <laughs> but we will. <laughs> well, we can go there now. Oh, we'll just backtrack. It's no big deal. I wanted. I was wondering. With I wanted to talk about this mosquito on your first one, and so it sounded like you were awake within the dream. Mm-hmm. Like you knew, what, did I hear that right? Like you knew yeah. you were dreaming.
2: It was probably before I even knew what an astral experience was. I was probably having an astral experience because I was definitely asleep. But you know how when you have a when you're in your astral body and you can actually see through your eyelids, but your eyes are closed, and then you know that because when your eyes open, you've you've opened your physical eyes, but you were able to see before.
0: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 this is, um, it's, it's nice to hear, especially, um, that six-year-old period seems to be, seems to be one of those times. And so at this time too, also say maybe around like, you know, I don't know, six to 10 and this fear of the closets that you already gave us, did you have anything that was, um, Like the scary dreams, night terrors, stuff where you needed your mom or a light on? Yeah, I did. I remember having a dream,
2: uh, like a consistent dream or a repeating dream, recurring dream, there it is, about a pirate in a pirate ship. And this used to really freak me out. And I'd wake up in the middle of the night and I was terrified. I'd be screaming. And then finally, my mom, she's such a magical person. After a few weeks of this, she, she came in with a piece of paper and she said, okay, Trace, I want you to draw this ship and this pirate and I drew it. And she said, now I want you to put it under your pillow. And when you wake up and you're scared, I want you to point at it and you say, you go away, you're not allowed in my dreams anymore. And so I was like, okay, sure. And so then I did it and it totally worked and it never came back. So it was one of those magical moments of my mom coming in and and saving the day. Oh, that's great. I like your mom already. Oh, she's amazing. My mom is so cool. And uh, about the fears, though, I would say that I think my strongest fear was definitely the separation anxiety. And that was also more so related with my dad. Like I know that I had issues with, you know, when I was in England with my mom, but my father was in the Air Force. And because my family before I was born, they were stationed at RAF Woodbridge in Suffolk, England during the time of the Rendlesham Forest incident in 1980 was like a huge UFO sighting, there was a big cover-up, whatever. This was a part of my family before I was born. So there was this kind of thread there already about government cover-up, government secrets, military Mm -hmm. conspiracy, that kind of thing. So by the time I would, you know, my dad would leave for months at a time, because he was an Air Force pilot, and I would get confused, like, oh, is he going to come back? I, I didn't know where he was going, and that used to freak me out. So I think some one of my larger fears as a child was when my dad would go to work, I would wake up, I could hear, this is really interesting, I could hear the click of the lock of the door, I remember that, and I would just, out of a dead sleep, I would jump out of bed and run down the stairs to give my dad a big old hug before he'd go to work, and he'd drive down the street, and I'd wave from the window. My dad and I have always been extremely close. Uh-huh. so. That was something from my childhood growing up. My mom would tell the story. She's like, I don't know why Teresa was so freaked out. She, I don't know why she was so scared about him not coming home. She didn't really understand it. And uh, but that was that was when I was a kid. I guess that went away after he retired. He retired when I was nine.
0: Uh, it's endearing. It, it, you know, this um, like it's almost like even though you didn't experience it really, but it's almost like that whole abandonment thing mm-hmm. that plays out. I know I've got that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely. It, it's intense and it definitely plays out in our dreams. Um, I'm int- really intrigued by your being in that Rindlesham forest period. That's all juicy. We get into woo woo later, by the way. If, you, if you're willing to <laughs> I get live in the woo woo, girl. <laughs> yeah, okay, girl, we're going to go there later. And Jerry usually drives that ship. Uh, um, okay, so let's move up now into when you started to have. A, a really heavy significant dream life at this 19 period so i just wanted to get in a little bit more of the stuff that kind of is a found foundational stuff so that we get an understanding of who you are and what you're working with symbolically and all that absolutely
2: so. yeah so and i can kind of give you a little bit more of an insight there i've always had a very archetypal mind I've always been obsessed with English literature. I have a minor in lit. So just growing up, I was always reading. I was always writing. And I had a very vivid imagination. I was an artist. And so by the time I moved into college year, so I graduated from high school when I was 16 and I went to college then. And I was actually... Let's see, where, when did the dreams really start? It was after my cousin died of a drug overdose. Mm. And uh, i that was kind of my first kind of trekking into interfacing with the supernatural for me, which I think kicked my dream state online in a new way. So after he died, and we were the same age when he died, so we were really close, I sat down at his piano, and I felt his presence there with me, and then I started just playing the piano. Suddenly I could play the piano and he was there with me. And I, I felt like he was giving me, he was gifting me piano. I don't know if I was writing the song for him or him for me, but we had that connection. And, and then I was, I was able to use piano really to expand out my creativity. The writing kicked online in a brand new way for me. I was writing a lot of music. And then when I went to college, that was when the dreams really started to kick online. So I can tell you a very significant dream that I had that was probably the most important, the first important, very important dream that I had. And I walked into a building and I walked up seven flights of stairs and then I stepped onto a landing and in this hallway that I'm looking at, there are ballerinas getting ready for a performance. And I walk down this hallway and they're not looking at me. And I turn into a room and there are ballerinas in the room and I'm walking through the room and then all the lights go off. And when all the lights go off, there, is, there are hushed whispers. And now the ballerinas are scared and you can tell that they're afraid by the, the shuffles and, and everyone's moving and there's chaos. And then a TV screen looms out of the darkness And this TV screen has a man on it, and he's been beaten, and he's crying, and he's shouting. And I knew that this was propaganda. Now, what's important about this is that I've always been very obsessed with journalism my whole life. I went to school for journalism, and I've always been very obsessed with this idea that we need to critique the images and messages that we receive in the mainstream media. And I think, you know, a lot of this stems from the Rendlesham Forest incident and all of that, those threads carrying through, but this started happening in my dreams where I was aware of propaganda happening on a sub, like in my subconscious mind. So I'm seeing this occur. You have these ballerinas who represent this innocence and purity and art and the feminine. And then you have the TV looming out of the darkness, the mainstream media, this, uh, distortion of reality this fear mind control programming now and then you see this woman step out of the darkness and she's got blonde hair and she's flanked by these soldiers and then they start seizing and arresting these ballerinas and so i run to this door and i go to open the door and this soldier slams the door back closed and i look at him and as soon as our eyes connect i realize that he can he can recognize me i can see it on his face that he recognizes me and he grabs my arm. And as soon as he grabs my arm, it's like all of my body lights up with electricity. And he looks me in the eye and he says, the bird opens the window and jumps. He opens the door that he had closed. He pushes me in the room and closes the door after me. Now I'm standing in this empty room by myself. I've just been shoved in this room and told by a soldier, while I can hear the screams going on on the other side of the door, the bird opens the window and jumps. So I run to the window, I open the window, I look down seven flights down to the ground, and I'm thinking, this is crazy. I'm not gonna jump out the window. And then I hear the door open and without looking behind me, I can hear the people running after me and I jump out the window. After I jump out the window, I am flying now. So instead of falling, I I feel my stomach go up and then the gravity stops and I'm just flying through the air. And I fly into, I'm flying over buildings and I go into my apartment, which is like a skyscraper. It's like 20 stories high. And I go into this window, I'm going in my apartment and then the walls begin to turn to dirt and soil and vines all around me. The walls, the floors, the furniture, everything's crumbling and turning into dirt. I run to the mirror and I look in the mirror and I have brown eyes and brown hair. And my eyes change colors from brown to bright electric blue. And my hair turns from this long brown to like long golden locks of hair. And I'm looking in this mirror and I'm saying, What in the world is happening? And the, the matrix was lifting and I was experiencing the
0: matrix lifting. That's, that's really clear and
1: amazing. Um, there's so you- much. A Pleiadian or a a tall white, a Nordic.
2: I think it might have been someone from the inner Earth. I didn't know that until mm. later. Um, but all the signs, I think, at this point are pointing to inner Earth person.
1: A garthan. Yeah. Nice.
0: So, do you go to reflective? Cir- this is this is a practice I always try to um, perform, and. Uh, it's one I advise so that you can get an idea of who you are within the landscape, wherever you are. It's a good idea in real life too. (laughs) Not real life, but waking life, whatever that is. Um, Do you generally go to reflective surfaces to get a grip on you within the collective?
2: So I did not know what that was until approximately three years ago. And I had written my book, What is Magic? And I started learning about channeling. And then I learned the term scrying. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I just learned it back then. And then when I did, I said, huh, that's interesting to use a reflective surface to impart your subconscious mind onto this mirror and absorb information from the collective psyche through that process. I, I was pretty fascinated by that concept. So I did try it in a bathtub and I had very significant results. And that's actually a story in the second book that I'm writing right now because it, it was so significant. So yes, I, I've done that before and I've used that a few times
0: uh, before. Yeah. And, and so, and then within the context of dreaming was do is that something that you use or was it specific just to that dream?
2: Oh, that's a really good question. Um, yeah, actually, if I were to stop and like really think I'm sure that mirrors do show up in my dreams. Mir- mirrors play a very interesting part in my life. I actually accidentally opened up a portal once and oh, do tell. Oh my gosh. That was such a crazy story. It's actually like a really stupid thing to do. So I'm just going to like put a disclaimer out there right now. Don't be
1: stupid. <laughs> Portals are nothing to most.
2: with. <laughs> I actually did
1: a YouTube video on this. What kind of portal exactly?
2: Oh, who really knows, right? Who, who really knows what a pearl is? Let me just tell you the story okay. and then we can talk about that. It's a good question though. So I went to New Orleans for my best friend's bachelorette party. And uh, I wanted to go to the voodoo store naturally. So I go into this store and there are books and, you know, gifts and things like that, whatever. I walk up to the the lady at the counter and I was like, hey, I want a book on voodoo. Okay, and let me just, say, let me just preface this with I wasn't trying to do black magic. I had learned that voodoo just basically meant magic. I wanted to look at it. I, I wanted to read it. I didn't want to like do black magic. That was not my intention. I just wanted to get a book so that I can learn about what it was. I, you know, I was curious. And so- Girl, you're like, all good here. I love
0: <laughs> Nola and I love all of that. So. I was,
2: yeah. Okay, cool. So I, and I was kind of messing with her just to kind of see what I could do. You know, that's like the investigative journalist to in me. I walked up to her and I was like, so where are your real books at? And she looked at me like I was crazy. And I was like, (laughs) I was like, you know, you know, the books in the back, where are those books? And she's looking at me like, is this girl serious? And I'm like, I want like a real book. I don't want some of these like gag gifts or whatever. And she was like, she looks around and it was kind of late at night by that point. She was like, come here. And so she takes me into the back. There's like, it was like a movie. There's like a curtain. She takes me through the curtain. We go into the like back room and there's like this, you know, corner with a bookshelf. And she was like, this is the book you want. I don't know if she was messing with me. Oh, I love this. Yeah, it was really cool. And so she gives me this book, and I buy the book, and I take the book home. And so, Do you remember
0: what the name of the book is? Not off the top of my head, but I can find out for you. Yeah, at least um, send it over to me, that info. I might have it. Huh.
2: Okay, yeah, I will definitely look that up. I wish I could remember off the top of my head.
0: I'll find out that for
2: you, though, for sure. Okay, so... I get home and you know me I've got crystals everywhere I've got altars I've got tarot decks like that's that's who I am so that's just like a natural occurrence in my home and so at my in my bedroom I have my mirror I've got my dresser and I guess I had like accidentally put together a pretty hefty powerful altar because there was the, I had the book open because I was, I had been reading it. And then I had, got, I bought this little statue that was like a skeleton that said, Lord of past lives. I got that in Nola as well. And so there, that's sitting there. And then I have like my incense and like whatever. And, and so that was there. Then fast forward, I go to work. Let me make sure that I'm telling the story in order. Okay. Yeah. I go to work and then I come home from work and I walk in the door and there are flies, there are flies in my apartment. And I'm going, why are there flies in there? And I'm looking around, like, is there some kind of rotted food? Like, what's going on? It was just kind of like a weird energy. It felt kind of sinister. I don't know why, but I was just not feeling good about what was going on. I couldn't find anything. I called my best friend. I told her I was a little freaked out. And I went to go sit down in my office and I'm working. And then the light bulb next to me explodes. And I look over and I'm like, oh my gosh, that freaked me out. And I walk into my room. And I look over and it was like a horror movie. There were flies all around this uh, statue, this skeleton statue. And when I stepped into my bedroom, they flew at my face. And I screamed at the top of my lungs and I ran outside and I called my best friend. I'm like, this is so not happening. And I tell her and she's like, okay, you know, did you uh, like, tell me about what happened? And I tell her and she goes, well, do you have any, mirrors around the statue. And I said, well, yeah, the statue's right by a mirror. And she was like, okay, well, what else is around it? And I, I go in there and I say, okay, well, I have this book on voodoo that I got from New Orleans. And, and she was like, wait, what? And I was like, yeah, there's this voodoo book. And then the statue, <laughs> and she was like, and a mirror. And I was like, yeah, you know, and a tarot deck and like my incense and a candle and some crystals. She's like, Teresa, you just made a portal like that mirror that you probably just called some spirit through. And when she said you called some spirit through, boom, it triggered a memory that I had forgotten two nights before. So this is the night that I got back from NOLA. At night when I was laying in bed about to go to sleep, I was in that like hypnagogic state right before awake and asleep. And I was breathing and there was this like dark uh, shadow being like on top of me. And every time I would breathe in, it would move a little bit closer to my mouth. So it was like, with my breath, I was pulling it toward my mouth. Like it was going to go down my throat. And when I became conscious of this, it had happened like three breaths and then I became conscious and then immediately then I banished it. I was like, you have no authority here. You know, I banish you in the love of light of, of the one creator and it completely dissipated. But it was just really funny because when she goes, you opened a portal, you probably let some spirit in. I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. I did probably because I remembered that shadow being. Well, it gets more weird because then I walk into the bathroom and I had p- plugged my curling iron in to get ready for that night. I was going to go out with my friends. Well, the curling iron, the screw in the curling iron had unravel- untwisted all the way out and it was melted onto the counter. And I look up in the mirror and there's a huge scratch from the left side of the top of the mirror down to the right side of the bottom of the mirror. It was like somebody had taken like a, like a nail and scratched down the mirror. And this mirror was parallel to the mirror in my bedroom.
0: Wow. That's, that's intense. Exactly. Uh, know what you're doing when you play with these things and always make sure you've got your circle cast.
1: Okay. So uh, it could, it could be other things in a portal. It could have been uh, something attached to the book.
0: Well, and mirrors though are always
1: a portal. Or the mirror. I mean, even.
0: No matter Or what. the
1: mirror might've been an open portal. I, I'm just looking at different possibilities. I don't, I'm not, like, not doubting your supernatural experience in any way. I'm just looking for other supernatural explanations.
2: No, yeah, it's important to do. So like, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Because it's like, I guess it seemed like a portal just because of the the mirror being scratched and then that being parallel to the mirror that the our, the altar was in front of. So, mm-hmm. and when I say portal, maybe it meant that because the spirit had some kind of pathway to come through. Like I've heard that mirrors
0: allow they, spirits to pass through.
1: Pretty much. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's. I mean. I mean that. I've always thought of mirrors as portals, and we can take that back to Delphi and to Pythia, the Pythian mysteries yeah. and all of that. It's. It's justified. I'm,
1: I'm not trying to be nitpicky about portals, so just let's drop the portal thing. I just want to know how you. Go. <laughs> How'd you get rid of it?
2: Oh, well, I, I you know, I basically said a bunch of prayers and I had my singing bowl and I did my saging and basically everything I could throw. It was basically like throwing spiritual spaghetti at the wall. Mm-hmm. That's what I was doing. Everything I could possibly do. I cleaned the house. I, you know, I just cleared the energy and it went away. It was fine after that. It was just really funny. I, I put the the cur- curling iron out on the balcony. And when my friend came over the next day, I was like, be careful for the haunted curling iron outside. I'm not touching it.
1: so yeah i love
0: the haunted curling iron
1: i'm just kind of getting that it's something that followed you back from that store you think yeah
2: it could be and and you know that would make sense too because it could have just been messing with me
1: well if you started doing voodoo it may have become your companion
0: oh my gosh
1: that's terrifying (laughs) i don't know
0: well, I, and not, nonetheless, you seem to be doing all right. So possibly yeah. it's working for you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what I mean? Jeez. Okay. So what about, all right. So back here um, with the dreams in this period of 19, how old was your cousin when he died? You were the same age. He was 18. I was 18. Okay. So it was literally like, right. It was, that was a portal to open all this heavy dreaming for you as you said earlier
2: yeah it was sort of like that it made my reality a little elastic knowing that i could interface with the supernatural like that because he was he was there from the other side he was with me and then yeah it it's crazy and so yeah okay so let me finish the story because there's more to the story and it's actually really fascinating so i told you guys about the ballerina dream yes and then the next day i woke up and i was like wow that was a really crazy dream and i couldn't get it out of my head all day that night, and I didn't know what it meant until the next night because whenever I went to sleep that night, I actually went back into that same dream, so it's but the setting had changed, so I was in a jungle town with my sister, and we were at a party. We were hanging out with our friends, and then we hear the sounds of the military police state cracking down on the city, and then we're all dragged from our houses. And it's the same soldiers that were in the dream from the night before were ushered down the street, We're in an open um, square, like a city square. And there's a stage with the woman, that blonde woman standing on the stage, flanked between her soldiers, they've got machine guns, and they would throw a coin into the crowd and the coin would land on somebody. And when the coin would land on someone, they'd drag the person up to the front and they'd execute them. And this happened three nights in a row, we'd get pulled out of our houses, we'd get pushed into this square, they'd throw a coin in the air, someone would get executed. Well, on the third night, the coin landed on my shoe. And when the coin landed on my shoe, I was not afraid. And I walked up to the stage and I could hear my sister's shrieking screams. And everyone's looking at me. And the soldiers are pulling me up onto the stage. And I'm looking out at the crowd. And I had love in my heart, like such an intense, deep love. It was like I was almost feeling out of body. It wasn't, it was like I knew it was happening, but I was beyond it. And then when I opened my mouth, this unfamiliar voice started to come out of my mouth and I just remember fe- like it, witnessing this, like it was happening to somebody else because I'm there, but this voice is coming out of my mouth. And when this is happening, I'm watching the faces of the people in the crowd, their faces are changing. And I was, I'm watching them go from afraid to like completely empowered, like epiphany. Like when you have an epiphany and you have this intense realization, I'm watching that happen on people's faces. And then all of a sudden, chaos ensues the soldiers start running they start fleeing the city as fast as they can and this voice is just pouring out it's this beautiful almost like a resonance is just pouring it's this beautiful liquid gold almost just coming out of my mouth and as I woke up in the middle of the night I was trying to cling to the words because it was in some other language but people were understanding it and I was trying to cling to these words and I couldn't grasp them anymore And then. At that moment, I saw this entire world, and I started writing about it. I could not leave my apartment for three days i didn 't answer the phone i didn't leave didn 't go to school. I wrote for three straight days and I was writing this story about this world that I glimpsed, and I could see all of it. I could see the people I could see it and i and it was called "Legend of the Gaia," and i didn 't know what Gaia meant and but I started writing the story and that was just the beginning for me. And I didn't find out until much, much later that I was getting downloads of information back then. I didn't, I did not know that until probably just the last few months of my life. So it's interesting to go back into these times in our lives and give them meaning and purpose and find the reason why we have these dreams, because I do believe they're gifts Uh, they're either gifts from our higher selves or they're planted there by, you know, beings that are working with us for sure.
0: This is fascinating. So, okay. So this dream happened between the age of 18 and 19 after your cousin died?
2: Yes. Actually the dreams happened at, I think I was 19. So yeah, I think I was 18 and a half when Ryan died. And then I was nine, I was 19. Yeah. I was 19. Whenever these, uh,
0: These were reoccurring that created this whole download of information. We talk about the download a lot in dreams.
2: Yeah, yeah, it happened. So it was two nights in a row that I had this experience with this blonde woman who was in charge. She was like the figurehead of the cabal, I guess you could say. And then you have these soldiers that are bringing in this military state and they're arresting the innocent people.
0: Yeah. And it, so it was in another language. Did it feel, Did was there a sen- an idea or a sense of period of time?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Probably like the the time that elapsed that I was, that the words
0: were coming out of my mouth. Is that what you're asking? Um, no, like a the period of time, like in an era, like modern era. <sighs> yes,
2: it was absolutely modern. It was 100 million percent present day for sure. When it was happening. Yeah, it was. And I know that because there were parts of the dream where like, I was completely lucid and aware of other things happening in the world. So it was, it was literally like it was, it was real time for sure. Yep. And that wasn't the only time that I had a dream where I would understand or speak a language that I didn't have access to in this realm. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and that that's not uncommon, but I haven't been able to um, I haven't had a lot of talks with people on this show about that. So I, I want to get into that a little. Do you know I don't recall when you were just telling that, if you stated what language. It was one you're unfamiliar with.
2: Oh yeah, it was it was completely not of this world for sure. Was it was it, not an English or not sorry, not English,
1: but not an an earthly language. Was it that crazy light language? No, la, wa, ta, it was na, more, ba, la, ga, ga. Or,
2: that stuff no. freaks me out. Uh, it was more like a a tone, a sound. It was like so much was being encompassed. It was almost like a a vibrational light frequency download that people were gaining <laughs> access to through the sound.
1: Yeah, that's that's what the allegedly what the light language does. It produces a vibration and it connects your throat chakra. To your crown chakra or your third eye, I don't remember which one, and produces that like almost telepathic effect where you get a broadcast of meaning along with the the verbiage. Does mm. that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. Like in Nokian, Jerry, is that where you're going with this?
1: No, it, but people who this I've researched, people that I've researched that have this happen to them. You know, mm-hmm. it, they understand each other. I think other people might call it speaking in tongues mm-hmm, sometimes, mm-hmm. but it's, yep. it's some kind of base level brain response. When The way I've heard it described is that part of your ancestral lineage, of your DNA lineage, is reaching out to you. And the only way that you can talk or speak to your ancestors through the future and past of your, of your timeline is through this common language which light language so it's okay. some raw primal symbolic and frequency-based language
0: nice mm-hmm. one of the things that struck me listening to it was i was th- i really honed in and thought possibly a nokian if you if you know what that is teresa i do john, not john d stuff you know. it's, a, it's a whole it's a whole other realm of stuff to talk about but it's kind of like that uh, language of angels as the 15th century um 1500s uh, 16th century uh magician john dees on the court of queen elizabeth uh translated from some spirits so and it's fascinating fascinating um okay so and and back in this i i was i we usually ask about dream landscape and all that and um, I feel like you're giving us that anyway. Um, but in general, so just some more nuts and bolts stuff. In general, outside of this um this kind of massive download um epic kind of stuff, do your your standard everyday common issue dreams what does what do they look like as far as architecture, sense, eight, um you know smells uh black and white color all that kind of just nuts and boltsy stuff
2: yeah i'm trying to pull open my my notes because i take dream notes come on my phone's oh you're good that's that's very good let's see what was a recent dream that i had yeah i mean i have dreams all the time honestly and they're all over the place really but i do um work with birds a lot in my dreams. There are certain symbols that seem to show up, you know, like mirrors, like we were talking about. Another one is uh, staircases that shows up very frequently. Mm -hmm. I dream a lot at my mom's house. It's a very significant home to me in my life. I have certain places that I go to over and over in my dream.
0: Let's stop there for a minute. So places that you return to that that you go to, are they they're the same as you just said but do they shift so it's like your house but it's always different or is it always the same it's oh that's a really good question
2: it's i guess like there are certain like there's a beach that i tend to go to a lot with a uh cliff out in the water it's like the same place that I tend to go to over and over again. I'm like, oh, I'm at this place again. Mm-hmm. You know, so there there are places like that, but you bring up a really good question because I think that there have been times if I can dig into my subconscious and pull them out where there have been times where I've had dreams where I know that I'm like, oh, this is my mom's house, but it doesn't actually look like my mom's house in the dream. You know? So is that kind of what you're
0: talking about? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. For yes, sure. Yes. Absolutely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That says I I'm with you on that. And, um, some people just don't have that, but I find it, strangely reassuring that there's a sense of architecture in -hmm. whatever that space is that seems to be consistent, even though it shifts as far as the images. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The place you know it, it knows you, it's like home or the same beach. It's yeah. Okay. So on 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 um major symbols in here. So we got birds and staircases. What about water stuff? So you go to the beach, but water creatures. Ooh, water creatures. I'm trying to water do- stuff in general, but if there are like things in the water, you know, stuff like that.
2: Yeah, so I more so have dreams over water because I have a very strong resonance to the bird archetype. So, um like let me give an example. There was a time, this was approximately maybe 4 years ago now. It was my first Kundalini awakening experience where I prepared the med- I meditated for a bunch of days in a row. It was like almost a year to prepare for this. And then I did this kundalini meditation. And then that night when I went to sleep, I had a really intense dream. And in the dream, I was in the ether. So it was like all pitch black. And I was in this like abyss of nothingness. And I could hear all of the voices of every single human that has ever lived, that's living now, that ever will live. And it was all of the fear, any fear or anguish or pain Coming out of their mouths, I could hear it. I was wearing, I was basically wearing the burden of the weight of that vibration, and it was really intense. And then it shifted, and I felt all of the anger and of everyone that's ever lived that anyone that was living now, anyone who would ever live. And then all of a sudden, boom, it dissipated, and I was flying like an arrow, shooting like an arrow over a completely still ocean, and it was like perfectly flat. And I'm shooting over this ocean and i can see down into the water and the the reflection of the light above and it was super cool it was like such an amazing experience and the winds flying past my head and then i descended into the center of the earth and i'm standing in an amethyst cave and there are purple crystals all around me and i heard essentially the voice of the creator saying that the infinite creator and our collective consciousness, all of us together, like we are stronger than any fear or pain and we will prevail through love. It was really cool. And I woke up and my whole body was on fire. It was really intense. But that, that's one example of, of water in my dreams. There's a, a lot of times I'm flying over water and there's like the that sense of being above uh, this clear contact lens of
0: water that is it's gorgeous i love the amethyst cave let's talk on birds for a minute so since that's a, a significant part of of this other dimension that we call dreams um, so when you're communicating with them what is there a general do they come as we see them in say waking life or are they more fantastic um, what form do they take when they're when you encounter them and how are the how's the communication aspect between you and and birds. Um yeah, I'm just In taking dreams. some notes so
2: that I can make sure that I'm remembering. So yeah. yeah
1: we can um, hear all the typing there, typey McTyperson. So
2: Oh, you can. You can hear me yeah, typing. yeah It's
0: all right, Teresa. It's all right.
2: <laughs> Sorry. I was taking notes on the Enochian language of angels, like what you were talking about, and then I wrote down peacock, eagle, ravens, because I know those are things I need to talk about. Yes. Um, Ooh, write
1: down yes, about Jason Louvre. L O U V. Jason Louv, L-O-U-V, just got put out a nice book about john d and the angels
2: nice sorry i didn't mean to be typing over the, no, I know, the live I know. stream there uh <laughs> yeah okay so uh birds birds definitely have a fantastical uh a, what's the word i'm looking for i guess semblance or likeness in not just my dreams but in my waking life too i have some really funny stories but um
1: Prevalent archetype. How's that? Prevalent archetype.
2: Yeah. Prevalent archetype. I like that. Um, So yeah, the first time that I ever astral projected, so I was a complete, this was when I was learning how to, I was already, I've already been going lucid in my dreams for a really long time. But when I started researching that you could control it, I was like, oh, well, I already controlled this anyway. I have super vivid dreams my whole life. This (laughs) is going to be easy. So it was very easy for me to go lucid and, you know, move around and control things. And so I learned how to astral project. And the first time that I ever did it on purpose, I was basically, and you're completely aware of your physical body, by the way, you can feel the air conditioning on your face. You can, you know, you can, you know, you're there, but you're completely in another plane. And I had projected out in, and I'm walking down the street and a peacock flew into my experience and was walking with me down the street and it was like a guide or just a protector but this was a very calming uh presence in this experience it was the first time that i had purposefully untethered myself from my body so it was very interesting to me that this was the first appearance of this peacock that uh you know came into my dreams many other times and it was really cool and then I had an
0: experience with an eagle. Did Wait, let's hold back on the peacock. So did it, so was there any kind of communication with it? Was it, it just showed up? It was just part of this first real major astral projection? It
2: showed up, it flew in from the left side down to the right, and then it landed on the ground. And I remember thinking, huh, that's really interesting. Cause I was on a street, like in a, just a normal neighborhood. And I thought, well, how interesting for a peacock to be here. It was very out of place Mm -hmm. and it was very beautiful. And it kind of was walking off into the yards around me, uh, kind of just doing its own thing. It was really not there to interface with me. It was just
0: there to be there with me as I was going through my experience. That's cool. And how like at this point when you're when you're getting sounds like you're pretty adept at it we already know from you were when you were little your first dream you were very um awake within the dream that mosquito experience that's very intense start of a life of <laughs> of being a dreamer <laughs> so wh- how old were you when say this peacock experience happened oh um twenty 27 oh that's so sad in return too that's interesting oh yeah that was a crazy year for me that was the year that i wrote what is magic and there's that's why there's a peacock on my cover on my book cover actually i have to i have to read your book i did not know you wrote a book called where i did not know this so i'm going to be digging into that
1: that was the author part of author and journalist
0: yeah, no, I, I got that, Jerry, but I didn't know what, and, I did, and it sounds like an extremely interesting book that I would want to read. There's um, a lot
2: about dreams in this book, actually. I, I go very deeply into dream states and uh, altered states of consciousness and astral projection and reincarnation and the soul body and life between lives and all of that.
0: Oh, good. And we're going to get into all that. So, And you wrote it during your Saturn return, which is significant also. <laughs> Now I'm no. second-guessing
1: myself. No, no it she, must have been... She was done with that. She wrote it when it she was, was 30.
2: No, I didn't.
1: It just Did came it. out in February this I just
2: published it. Okay, hold on. Let me tell oh, that story okay. because I published the book. I think it was actually Saturn Returns, yeah, when I wrote it because I think I turned... You can find out in the book because my birthday happens in the book and I say 28. I think I turned 28. That's
0: Saturn Return. Depends on where it is and when you were born, but 27 right. to 30 is considered the envelope of Saturn Return.
2: Right, and then I didn't publish the book until years after I wrote the book, so that's that's where that discrepancy is.
1: Sandbagger,
2: dude! <laughs> I went through a divorce. I was, oh, I was
0: like, oh, I joined yeah, join the club. That was I. I totally was like shedding everything. I'm like, this. I'm done with all of it. But, um, well, actually, Saturn told me I was done with all of it. I guess. Um, okay, so back to so we were moving on to the Raven, correct?
2: Uh, sure. Yeah, we can go with the Raven. The I want to,
0: I want to hash out all the birds first, um, in these, in these astral projections.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then there was an experience with an Eagle that was actually not in a dream. It was in meditation. So you might, I don't know if that's cheating.
0: Well, it's okay. So that's, <laughs> so it's not cheating because what this whole thing is about states of consciousness, right. And meditation. So give us an idea of what meditation is for you.
2: Yeah, okay. So I learned about meditation or probably 3 or 4 years ago. It's funny because I was raised Catholic. So I when I started writing What is Magic, I was actually it's funny when you read the beginning like the first chapter because you're watching me realize that, huh, this is meditation. This looks really cool. Like this sounds like I could calm my mind and actually, you know, find myself in these things and I'm second guessing myself because of my Catholic upbringing and I'm like but isn't that demonic? And it's so hilarious because you're, you're really mind controlled a lot. Or I was, you know, I was raised to have so much fear against any of this uh quote unquote woo woo stuff which is so funny because it's been such a huge part of my life and then finally when i put, kind of blew the lid off of that and i'm like this is ridiculous you know we all have been meditating you know i I've, I've been meditating my whole life i just wasn't calling it that you know that whole absolutely ability, that shift and just realizing that we're all talking about the same thing here really yes. helped me to alleviate a lot of the fear constructs that i had holding me back and so i went into learning about meditation and I would uh, focus on my breathing. I would do uh, yoga in the morning to make sure that my body was working. I was eating very healthily. I knew that taking on a meditation regimen is actually a, uh, it's a life change. It's its a lifestyle that you're taking on. It's not just like, oh, I'm going to sit around and I'm going to close my eyes for a minute. I mean, sure. Yeah, it can be that. But for me, I took on a new lifestyle and that, what that consisted of was any moment you can go into meditation, but it's about calming yourself, going into the stillness, opening your heart up to gratitude within every moment. I do believe that we choose. We have a choice on this planet. We have free will. We get to choose whether or not we're going to be the initiate. We can move around unconsciously in our daily life, or we can pull our life into our conscious mind. And when we do that and we make the choice to function through love, compassion, forgiveness, these things it helps us. When we go into meditative states, sometimes you find initially when you first take on a meditation regimen, all this stuff bubbles up from underneath the surface. These are usually things that you are not putting on a to-do list and actually doing in your conscious waking life. So there's a whole process of kind of getting your life together that I found that I went through where if you're not able to focus on your meditation, it's because you there are things in your life that you need to put in order so that you can kind of go into that space. Now, I do believe that We're constantly processing information. And in the brain, we have what's called the reticular formation that takes short-term memory and passes it into long-term memory. And if we don't have the time to do that during the day, we're going to do that during sleep. Now, as I was trying to learn how to astral project, I realized that I could kind of get ahead of the class, so to speak, by doing this work during the day, during meditation. So what you do is you go into your meditative states, you go into those deeper states of consciousness, those those vibrating a little bit slower so that you can focus your mind and then those that processing that usually happens at sleep you can bring that processing time into your waking life this opens the door for things like astral projection so now you're untethered because when you go to sleep you've done all that processing and now you got the whole universe multiverse at your fingertips and you can travel around
0: that was fantastic. (laughs) I was with you. Um, okay. So Eagle and you were, you were in a meta state of meditation, which is an altered state of consciousness.
2: Yes. Okay. So I learned how to meditate and then I started playing around with it because meditation is fun. And I found one time I was doing a meditation, actually on a plane, I was traveling somewhere and, um, an Eagle came into my meditation. It was super cool too, because it was a huge Eagle. And it had a golden eye and it came up and it was like this huge eagle. I was like, well, this is amazing. It was like almost like a Harry Potter movie or something. And I jumped on this eagle and we went flying around and we're flying in this like beautiful area where there are a bunch of trees and caverns and we're like diving and flying around. And uh, it was a blast. And then it took me to this uh, clearing. We landed on the ground and there was a clearing with like a, a creek coming through it and a fountain and that's pretty much it. It's not a super fantastic story. I just, I just think that it was really cool that an eagle came in and kind of like carried me through. And this was what I was learning about shamanism. So I didn't find out until later that the eagle is a really big symbol. So I don't know if that was kind of a, a message from that kind of uh, ancestral lineage
0: in the collective consciousness kind of passing through and saying what's up to me. Yeah, well that's that was gonna be my next question really concerning this. What what was interesting you at the moment. And that seems very clear with shamanism for sure. And um I think anytime we can have these experiences, it's it's a bit of a blessing in my opinion. Um, okay, so we got we got peacock, eagle, and then you mentioned Raven.
2: Yes, okay, so the next two are actually it's funny we're kind of traveling through we did a we did an astral experience, we did a meditation and now we're actually going to talk about conscious waking life because I have some really funny stories with uh with birds here. So I I was researching my Celtic lineage, my mom's 100% Irish and I was doing a lot of research into that lineage and then I was actually right about to go through my divorce too. So I was going through like a shift in in my life where I was, you know, I'd started Divine Frequency. I had finished writing the book. I was doing my YouTube channel. I was really coming into the community in a new way. I was doing like an online book club. I was really catching my stride. I was learning about, Um, abundance mindset. This was really unlocking my mind in a new way, uh, shucking off lots of that fear, really moving into that personal power. Well, and I'm sitting at my computer and these three ravens, they were huge ravens. Ravens get really big. And there were three of them outside my window screaming at me. And I'm looking at my window, I'm like, what is going on over here? And I I had to walk outside because for 15 minutes, they wouldn't go away. I literally walked right up to these ravens and I was like, What? what do you want? What do you want from me? And they were just looking at me and all like, this is crazy. Well, I found out later that there is a, there is a shape. I think it's the triskelion if Mm -hmm. I'm remembering correctly, but it's commonly shown as three ravens in a circle. Mm -hmm. It was really cool. So I felt like I was given a a Celtic what's up, uh, you know, and, and birds are traditionally seen as messengers. And so I find it very interesting that this, group of birds came during this time where i was like looking into that past and it was it was sharing that vibration with me as well as it sounds like the eagle did and same with the peacock there's that that level of uh hailing the spirit hailing the soul as
0: it's passing through as we travel through these states of consciousness the ravens are also very specific since you're talking celtic to the morrigan very 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 specific to the Morrigan. And when what really tied that in for me is that you said three ravens, which is part of her story, the dark goddess, you know, Morrigan, right? Yeah, the Morrigan. And so you should look into that because that seems more like that's that seems like that's a direct hit for me.
2: You actually just brought a very strong synchronicity into this. And I'm actually really excited that you just said that. And I hold, uh,
1: hold that hold one second. I was going to say that all, you know, seeing those birds was also synchronicities, each one of those. So.
2: Oh, yes. Oh, so we were having a synchronicity synchronicity. Yeah. So, so you just said one. <laughs> That's awesome. High five, synchronicity high five. Uh, <laughs> we, more a, we got a
1: bell somewhere around here. I got to find.
2: Oh, it. synchronicity bell. That's mm-hmm. a great idea. Um, so the name Morrigan was
0: the name that I used as the queen in Legend of the Gaia. Oh, interesting. Okay, that is good. (laughs) Whoa, no wonder you are working with that. Interesting. This is all stuff you know, I don't really know that much about you, so I'm it's good. I'm coming in a little bit blind, and that is coming through very clear. Um, okay, so and then when you're talking, I want to parse this out a little bit, Teresa. So when you're talking conscious waking. Life stuff that you were just talking where you experienced the three ravens. Define what that is. So, um, those were your words, I think. So, define yeah. what that is. Yeah. So,
2: I would say conscious waking life is just you know when you're walking around living your your normal life. You know, I'm I was sitting at my computer, so that was. I mean, we can look up the brainwave state. I always forget. I think it's delta,
1: alpha, or theta. Alpha alpha if okay. you're studying it's alpha
2: yeah so yeah i would say the alpha brainwave state and you know you're you're conscious because you can you can do an eeg right you can actually go and test this scientifically but for me you know how i guess we can get philosophical but you know i was
0: sitting yeah, on my I'm computer. Philosophical. <laughs> i got a synchro
1: now this is crazy so i was listening to someone last night talking about um it was Tom Campbell, actually, talking about the astral state and how that works and all that. He was talking about how you can essentially bilocate, which is what you're talking about, where, you, where you're you you've you've got a foot in the astral consciousness of your other persona, but you're still awake. Yep. You're like splitting your CPU time across.
2: Totally. Yes. Yeah, that's a really good way to describe that for sure. Yep.
1: That's not what he said, but it was. that's what he was talking about. And it was really interesting. I want to finish watching it. I will look for that and put it in the show notes.
0: There was something that you said earlier, and we didn't get to it. It's. It, this is how it goes. But you were raised Catholic. It's like that fundamental stuff. So you're raised Catholic, and that's a big deal in the um, underpinning of everything. And so what was the process of going from being a Catholic girl to where you are now? It's a
2: very large question. Um, well, th- that's literally a large reason why I wrote my book. So I wrote 550 pages about that answer or that question. Um, wow, that's how big your book is. I cut it, it down,
1: excommunicate divorces.
2: Uh, I I don't think they excommunicate them, but the idea, I think if it's still the same as it used to be, you're not in the Catholic church allowed to get remarried in the eyes of the Catholic church. You only have one marriage. If I'm remembering correctly. You can't have, you
1: can't do communion. I think that's, but that might've been changed. I don't Who knows? It's the Catholics. They're crazy.
0: Jerry was Catholic. Yeah.
1: Yeah. For like 10 years.
0: I forgot what I was saying. I was. I'm sorry. So your process—you wrote 550.
2: Pages. Oh right. Okay. Yeah. And I was going to say that I cut it down. It's it's like 415 pages or something like that now, but it was 550 when I finished. But anyway, to answer your question directly, I was raised Catholic. I uh, I was in a youth band when I was in high school. I was very you know into my faith and everything because I had you know spiritual experiences. I felt the Holy Spirit. All of that. When I got to college. What was hard for me was when I started reading the Catechism and really studying how words were created and how uh the the different meanings of the words could be understood differently and then they were translated different ways and then I started like just really getting confused about how uh for me, one of my triggers was you know I had a lot of friends who were homosexual and I was really frustrated with the Catholic Church and how they felt about homosexuals, so that was one trigger for me and and just going across the board and looking at it and just not resonating with the the fear that I felt and the guilt and just not... Re- there was so much dissonance that for me in my spirit journey, my soul journey, I I had to step away. I, I stepped away from that because I, I needed to doing that expand that- and grow and uh, and figure out who I was. And I do think that religion's... Get some things correct. I just don't. What wasn't resonating with me was the control constructs. That it wasn't until later, when I was maybe 24 or 25, when I started to look at all the different world religions and looking at the threads of synchronicity and truth of all of them, that I realized that there is so much truth out there. It's just, you want, for me, I was just wanting to find that truth. And I'm not saying that the Catholic religion is bad or whatever. I'm just saying for me, what resonates with me is finding a way where there is no intermediary between myself and the one infinite creator. And I felt stifled by that, uh, ideology, I guess. But I do think that there are threads of the Catholic Church that are wonderful. And I am very okay. fortunate that I was raised Catholic because I love the fact that I was raised Catholic. There was so much amazingness in that rich experience that I had. And there is a lot of spirituality that comes through, that came through from the beginning that from when I was born to now because of that. So um, I really want to just make sure that I'm not coming across as somebody that's trying to trash uh, any religion because that's not that's really not how I feel. It's just that I, I, when I started to see evidence of the, of reincarnation and, uh, the soul being really untethered from the body and then the mystical aspects of that, like the mysticism that I've been through that I've interfaced with that that is a part of who I am because I am a mystic it's very hard for someone like me and many many of us out there and I know people in this chat that I'm looking at because I see the names there are lots of us here that are having mystical experience experiences that we need we're going through this shift on a collective level on this planet right now where we're shucking off these fear-based mind control programming systems that are no longer useful I don't know at some point maybe they were useful, but as a collective consciousness, we're shifting now. We're, we're we're coming in contact with our fourth density right now. We're doing that. So we are having these abilities kick online, the veil is lifting, and we're seeing ourselves and each other in our infinite natures. So it's it's amazing what's happening. And so I think that the part the bad parts of not just religion of of everything it's the fear it's the fear programming that is so important that we look at and we try to understand because and that's so funny because you were just you're talking about that in the beginning of this interview is that when you get lost in that subconscious fear you have to shine that light of conscious awareness onto that so that you can bring that polarity into congruence and you can balance that divine feminine and masculine and really become your greatest version
0: yeah it's it's definitely a process. It seem it, it's a wonderful time. I've got to say, in my life, it's a wonderful time to be living. I'm I'm glad to be here because it's just so dynamic. All this stuff and people seeing um, the the programming that's within a lot of organized stuff, like religion, is a good example.
1: And I think um, we're just starting to get started.
0: Yes, <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, okay. And then you gave us something a little provocative here that I want to touch on. I always do. And, um, I still have other stuff. I'm going to rewind back to the dreams in a minute, but reincarnation.
2: Yes. So I was given a book when I was 26 by my father who my parents had just gone through a divorce and he started dating this woman who actually was a psychologist and she had 10 years experience regressing patients into past lives. This did not make sense to my dad because he's he was a devout Catholic man. And he's like, what are you talking about? And basically what he learned was that there are psychologists out there that regress people into you know through meditative states they can travel in through their memory uh back in time so that they can uncover traumas now this is like that's mainstream people know about
1: like that qhht but, kind of thing
2: r- right and so then you have uh certain psychologists that will actually regress people into past lives now this happened to um uh, my dad's ex-girlfriend you know she figured out that that was a thing and she's like what the heck so she starts researching this finds that this is like worldwide, people do this. And so she didn't believe it at first. Then she starts realizing that that's a thing. People would have traumas from past lives that you could put them into these past lives and they would heal these traumas, whatever that looks like. It doesn't matter if you believe it or not. Uh, That's just the story. That's that's what some people do that, whether it's true or not, whatever. But my story and how I interfaced with that information was that my dad gave me a book called Journey of Souls by Dr. Michael Newton. And this book was written by a man who, he was a psychologist too, and he spent 10 years of his life compiling case studies from patients who he would regress into a past life, but then he would take them through that death sequence into what's called like the life between lives or the space in between. And they would have these experiences where they would be met by Uh, relatives or whatever and they would go into this tunnel and then they would go into this afterlife they would you know meet with other souls that were in their quote-unquote soul group and then they would choose that life the next life and then they would go and reincarnate so he spent 10 years compiling case studies and he put together this book that basically takes you through the life between lives or the journey of the soul now when he gave me this book he told me that i needed to read it and explain why and i told him he was crazy but i read the book anyway. And when I started to read the book, I actually started to have out-of-body experiences myself. And when that started to happen, things got really weird. And then that's when I started writing What is Magic? Because everything like everything, leading up to that moment, whenever you realize that you can go out of body, everything changes. I was standing in my room next to my bed and I looked down at my body. There's my body in bed and I'm standing there and everything was super light. It was like I was untethered. There was no pain. And it was like there was light coming from the walls and there was an inherent quality of light and all the objects around me. And then I floated through the door and floated down the hallway and I could zoom in on the filaments of fabric and the, and the blankets on the couch and everything. And then I float into the kitchen and I see my dishes, my dirty dishes from the night before that I had forgotten that I had left on the counter. And at that moment, I knew that I was actually standing in my kitchen because it was a conscious trigger that I I didn't know my plate was there. But at that moment, I'm like, oh, I left my plate in here. And so I floated back to my body and I woke up. Wow, that was crazy. And that was just the beginning for me. And then my ex-husband actually, he was a PhD scientist, and he got tired of me talking about this book. I was like halfway through the book and he said, you know what? I'm just going to do a past life regression. I'm just going to do one. And I was like, uh, what do you mean you're just going to do? And he said, Oh, I'm just going to find a YouTube video. I'm going to go into a meditative state and I'm going to go into a past life. And I was like, I think that's a bad idea. I don't think you should do that. And <laughs> he said, well, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm a scientist and that's what I do. And so he he gets the, uh, you know, YouTube video up there and he lays on the couch and he goes into this meditative state and I'm sitting there. And then I hear him say in this really like quiet voice that says it's not working. And I walked over. And I had been reading this book that's basically case studies. And so I, I take on the role of the psychologist and I say, well, look at your feet. What do you see? And he starts describing this scene. He describes this scene where he's uh, at Lake Baikal and he's standing there on the side of the lake and he describes this house that he built and exactly how he built it. He goes into the house. He describes the table and the chair and the bed and how he it, so meticulously how he built these objects. I don't know how he knew that. And he said that his he was married with a kid, but they weren't there. And he didn't know why they were there. And he was sad. And he goes on and explains this whole thing. He says, there's a there's a mountain and there's uh, the sun coming over the mountain. He's just so in detail. And then when he comes out of this experience, he's on fire. He's so jazzed up. He gets the computer. He Googles Lake Baikal. And he sees ex- pretty much exactly what he had described. And he found out that this particular year, they had uh, taken, they had taken the prisoners of, uh, I guess, political prisoners there away from their families. And it showed, he even researched like the the houses of the time and what they looked like and everything. So it, he was freaked out because everything made sense. So that was sort of the beginning for his journey, which was really fascinating because he was atheist up to that point. And uh, <laughs> so things just kind of shifted around that time. And the more and more I looked at reincarnation, I do think that there's a pretty strong case for it. Um, but you know, I I'm a researcher. I'm open either way. I I'm just looking for the truth out there So it could be real. It could be not but I do think that there's quite a bit of significant evidence to suggest that reincarnation is a thing
0: Yeah, and um, definitely I you know, there's anything's I think it's the most important thing is to just remain open <laughs> That's such a uh, it's, It sounds easy and you don't see it in play often um so okay with this in mind give us your idea of the differences between states of consciousness within dreaming so is as you parse them out like a a dream a normal dream where say you're unloading your daily stuff from the day you're unpacking it and it's just basically psychological the part, components of your psyche as opposed to like lucidity or what other states leading up into um A full-on astral projection OBE. How do you see? What do you see? Are the layers or differences there?
2: Yeah, it's a really good question. So I think that you know, in a normal sense, like we can get the 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 normal dreams out of the way by just processing, right? Those are that's when you're processing information. Like I was talking about, where you have lots of information that you're interfacing with on a daily basis, and there's no possible way that you can process all of that information in your conscious mind. You are being pelted with information nonstop as you go through your day. So when you think about it that way, when you go to sleep, that information has to go somewhere. So it passes through your mind and you're processing that data. Makes sense. So next you can have dreams that maybe you're processing and then all of a sudden you become aware that you're dreaming. So there's a step into a lucid phase. So when you go into that lucid phase, you can usually start choosing things. This is when now you get you have this element of choice that comes in, and that's kind of how I, when people are trying to understand their own dream states, that's kind of a tool that I share with them. Or I'm like, if you're in a dream and you're making choices, usually that means there's a level of lucidity to that experience. Absolutely. So when, yeah. And so so then you start kind of controlling the dream. And I think that there are different levels of that. Like you're saying, I agree with that, that there are different levels because sometimes, now sometimes, you have dreams that they're so lucid. Like you you can have like a lucid dream that, okay, you're making a choice, but then you have like even more lucid where it's almost like a step up because things are just super vibrant and it almost feels like you're in an experience that feels more real than your waking life. Now that I think is when you're having these like, soul experiences you're actually like on the astral plane you're probably traveled somewhere just in some capacity in dimensions and you're actually experiencing something on the astral plane that you've traveled into so i think that there are different layers there for sure i've had dreams sometimes that there's they feel so real that it's more real than your conscious life have you ever had that happen all the time yeah, yeah.
0: i'm fascinated by them and i want more always want more. These are just so hyper real. And, and see, this is for me where I started questioning dayside reality, right? Right. Where it seems more real there. And I'm like, oh man, what am I, you know, I'm like coming back. So yeah, I have so many questions with all that myself. So what, okay. So what's the difference between that hyper lucidity and getting out of body, like full on OBEs for you?
2: Yeah, okay. And hold on, I want to tra- backtrack for one second because I wanted to mention like the soul reality. So, like, we have our conscious waking life here, which is when I say conscious waking life here, we're in this third dimensional reality. We have our physical body, right? This is our physical body. So, this is our conscious waking life, as you know, in the words that I'm using. But you, your soul reality, like, your soul is inhabiting this body. We are multi dimensional beings inhabiting a physical body. Therefore, our soul reality is so much greater and more expansive than this experience we're having right here, which is pretty cool. And the reason why we're having this physical experience is because we're here to manifest in this physical So we can actually create things. It's really powerful to have a physical body because we can create in this three-dimensional realm. Now, when we become untethered, and usually this happens because when we're sleeping, we can go into these theta brainwave states and go really deep and we can access that soul reality. And now we can move out of body because we're accessing that soul reality. Now, you don't necessarily have to be asleep. You can be awake. You can be a meditation. You can do it anytime you want. But the reality is we are so... Most of us are so grounded into this physical experience that those kinds of experiences are uh, pretty much kept from us uh, and we get glimpses of them. But I also think that, you know, there are plenty of people out there that experience them all the time. But so that's kind of one point that I wanted to make. And then I forgot your question.
0: Uh, well, you, you, it's funny because the soul thing is a question we ask here in soul and spirit what, what are they to you? And you just took us right through that. Um, the difference between hyperlucidity or acute lucidity and untethered OBEs out of body. Uh,
2: well, that's kind of an interesting question because I I think it would probably depend on the situation because you could honestly say that they're one and the same really, but it just depends like an out of body experience, any out of body experience that I've had has been in conjunction with the hyper lucid state, like hyper lucidity, like really experiencing that soul reality where everything has an intense quality of vibration. You can feel, um, you can actually feel etheric bodies. You can sense aura, you can, uh, taste color. You can zoom into objects and see the filaments of the fabric of the atoms that comprise the material. You can, move through walls this stuff is real that that actually is real that's a soul reality that is our soul reality we just don't really come in contact with that soul reality very much but because the reason why it feels so hyper real because it is hyper real it's a hyper it's hypersensory out of the very small bandwidth of light that we can actually perceive with our physical eyes So therefore, when you're out of this physical existence, when you're in an out of body experience, or you're in an astral projection experience, or you're dreaming and you're having this lucid state, this hyper lucid state, you can access that level of information. We can only see such a, the visible light spectrum is so small compared to everything that we even know. And just keep in mind that that's just everything we know. Uh, It's pretty fascinating to me.
0: I agree. I, um, we, we often talk, I think Gordon White was one of the first people that really was bringing this idea into the Knox mente paradigm where it's really all matters of states of lucidity. So like, I think the old school language seems very Victorian, like the out of body astral projection seems kind of old school. It's really just states of lucidity and how we're accessing them. Okay. So within the context here, What about, so in, in your modern life, since you've been 19 and really, um, taking control within these realms, what are dreams? So I want to know about like night terrors or fears, um, sleep paralysis, that some of the darker side of, of this experience.
2: Yeah. So let's see, I, okay. Night terrors and what, oh, you said, um, what was the other thing that you mentioned? Um. Night terrors, nightmares, and sleep paralysis. Sleep paralysis, yeah. yes. Okay, so sleep paralysis and night terrors, that's kind of old paradigm for me. I think it was like, I I was probably, how old was I? I think I was 18 years old when I would have night terrors. I went through like a period of maybe like a month, but I think that was because I was going through a super stressful time in my life. I was uh, I was in college and I I transferred schools. And so I went through this really, stressful time, and I just didn't feel safe and I think that night terrors stem from that. It's that base level consciousness of fear where you're in, in that Maslow hierarchies of needs you' Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you're at the bottom and mm-hmm. you're just really not grounded into that safety and security and so that that fear kicks online. so I think that a lot of people that are experiencing night terrors, they're in that bandwidth of consciousness um, so i I do
0: remember that now as far as sleep paralysis goes. Well, that was around the period your cousin died, too. Oh. So you said 18, and that's around that same time. Huh. So that ties in.
2: That totally ties in. Huh. That's a very interesting connection. Yeah, it would make sense. Perfectly. Yeah. There was a lot going on at that time in my life, for sure. As Mm. most 18-year-olds go through, for sure.
0: Oh, definitely. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. (laughs) I'm so glad I'm not 18 anymore. (laughs) But the sleep paralysis that, uh,
2: did kind of touch my life at a certain point, maybe like 22, 23, but that was also because that was around the time that was right before my wake up experience. And so I think that that was an important thing to go through because your body started. It's almost like, I think we preemptively realize when we're going to go through our wake ups, because I find a lot of people I do. I used to do life coaching. I'm not doing it so much anymore, but, uh, I would Talk to a lot of people that would experience sleep paralysis. And I found that a lot of people would come to me to talk about their experiences as they were going through that shift in consciousness where they were waking up to you know, the realities of what was going on in the world. They were kind of coming up out of that uh, consciousness from before where you're kind of just a, a player in the world and then you take an active role. You become that initiate. You choose to wake up and look around and figure out uh, you know, what your sole purpose is here, what you're doing here, why you're doing it and what your higher purpose is. And so I think that there's a preemptive uh, part of that where we go through that sleep paralysis because we're, it's, I believe it's us uh, trying to come out of body. We're we're there, our body's going into that soul state and then we become consciously aware of of that, of that we're we're awake, we're freaked out because we don't know what's happening. A lot of people talk about that where they go, Oh, and I'm I'm in my room and I couldn't move and it was freaking me out and it was dark and I I wanted to scream, but I couldn't scream, like that kind of thing, sleep paralysis there. It's it's because they don't know what's happening. When you tell them what's happening, okay, guess what? First of all, you're a soul and you're inhabiting a physical body. And when you the next time that happens, calm yourself and tell yourself it's okay that you're you're a soul and you're in a physical body and you're you're looking through your physical eyes your your soul is awake and your body's not which is why you can't scream but don't fight it just release and when you do that and you go okay this is what's happening and you're you're not afraid and you release that fear that is what allows you to go to that next level of consciousness where you can go this isn't scary at all because you know you you're raising your consciousness to that level where you're meeting the reality of your soul
0: when okay so you said another you said so many provocative things tonight when you were 23 the wake-up experience I am deeply interested in knowing what that is because 23 is such a significant year in say like in the magical sense of it
2: yeah it happened in stages I was actually in a metal band at the time if you can believe that I used to (laughs) oh my god okay I love you (laughs) I love you. No, I was a rad. Were,
1: were either your parents in the military?
2: My dad was an Air Force pilot.
1: Did you ever live on a base? yeah
0: you okay. said that in the beginning.
1: Okay, I was doing show stuff. I'm sorry.
0: Rendlesham. Remember? In oh,
1: you lived on Rendleshin? Is that why you mentioned it?
0: Well, I was
2: not alive yet, but my family lived there. uh they were stationed at RAF, Royal Air Force, Woodbridge in Suffolk, England. Okay,
1: that. so was it 83 when the Rendlesham 80. incident? 80.
2: 1980. Mm-hmm.
1: So you weren't alive yet. Um,
2: I was born in 87.
1: Did your dad have anything, any knowledge of that?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: Rendlesham, that was the one that had the binary when you touched it, right? That one dude, yeah.
2: Yes. We could turn out on that forever. But uh, yeah, my dad. Let's uh,
0: you know do when we get woo. <laughs> when we get woo we're not woo yet i love that so, no, this isn't woo for us
1: well finish That's up because we're girl. running out of time there sister all right but,
0: well this wake-up experience is important plus we just learned that she was in a metal band dude <laughs> Come on. Are, are, can i ask Thursday's a question because be
1: remember the question i said i wasn't gonna forget to ask i wanted to ask. Okay. ask yes. actually remind me at the end because it's a good I'll, i got a better idea
0: Okay, just Carry write on. it down, Jerry, so you have it. I do. Okay, I so, we'll, so, you know, so what we'll do, Teresa, is we'll get to this wake-up. I could talk to you for a long time. It's sad that it's running short. Um, so this, we'll do your wake-up experience, and then I'll, I'll just try to get through the death stuff. And then we'll go at woo.
2: Okay, so... Uh, wake up in 30 seconds or less just kidding okay so at 23 i was in a metal band and i realized that i was living my life for everybody else and so i really wanted to take control and do something new and fresh and i i was just kind of giving my power away so i had somebody tell me that it was someone that i had just met actually they were like you need to get out of this town you need to go off on your own you need to do something else and just you know live your life and do something free and whatever. And I said, you are right. I did. It was almost like getting permission. Right. So I moved to Dallas and, uh, I got this job with a tech company and then I got a promotion out to Santa Barbara. I was living in Santa Barbara. Everything was beautiful. My job was amazing. I had my car, I had my place. I was on the beach. Everything was great. And then I met this guy who ended up being my husband, for a while. And, and he asked me one day, he said, Teresa, do you know how the pyramids were built? And I said, well, I don't know, like, didn't slaves build the pyramids? And he was like, you might want to research that. And so I went and I went down the first of many rabbit holes. And that was just the kicker. It was that one thing. And I just went, oh my gosh, we're being lied to. And then pyramid power and then reincarnation. And then everything, it just went, out off of the cliff. That was the beginning was the pyramids for me.
0: So and just on that a little bit, so um, because we all kind of have this. Um so it was the pyramids that brought you because this is significant to where you are now. I mean this is like everything you're doing essentially. So it's majorly significant. And the fact that it happened when you were 23 is also very auspicious. Uh, um so the pyramids and what inspired what in particular, in in that rabbit hole, within that rabbit hole, um, s- switched open, switched on the light. I mean, there's so much there, as you know. There's so many different ways you can go.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I think that every single person in this world has a certain trigger. I mean, I know we have lots of different triggers, and it just matters on which one it's going to be. You know, it just so happened that that was the perfect storm for me, and I do also believe that that was a trigger for me because of my Syrian connection and my connection to ancient Egypt. Because it wasn't until many years later that I learned about the Syrian feline lion beings that I am working with very frequently. And it was actually at Iseti, which is a place in Trout Lake, Washington, Brandy. that I began.
1: <laughs> That's so cool. Wait, they're, yeah, not, they're not leering?
2: There, yeah, I think that Lirin was where they originated, and then they moved to Sirius after. So Lirin is actually the the core origin,
1: right? Okay. And then
2: they went to Sirius. So you're correct, yes.
1: Golden cats,
2: bingo, mm-hmm. yes. They hang yeah,
1: so, around musicians, you know.
2: Uh It's funny because whenever I went out there, James and he laughed whenever I, I did. He's the one who owns the ranch for those of you mm-hmm. who don't I, know. Yeah. And I was just saying to your listeners, but um, screw them.
0: <laughs> he
1: went oh jerry
0: I'm kidding. I'm kidding i'm kidding <laughs> you better apologize jerry's uh, got a mild form of tourette's
1: i do not quit saying that <laughs> but he bitch.
2: looked at me and he was like he just laughed and he said look familiar and he shows me a picture of a lion being on his phone like one of those felines mm. and i was like i don't know what you're talking about i don't <laughs> i had no idea what he was talking about and he was just like you'll know
0: you'll figure it out it was funny and then he, then i learned all about him but yeah it's really interesting, interesting. Yep. So I definitely want to wrap around to some of that but I want to let's close out like this kind of non the the dream stuff the so non-woo. yeah which is woo to a lot of people but not to us and okay so with all this where we are I okay so to move into this kind of last phase of Nox mente is do, have you encountered within the dream space within the dreaming um, people that you've known that have passed and even your cousin like um those that have died including animals.
2: Yes, I my grandmother came to me uh in a dream. It was a year after she died and it was a very intense dream. I was actually in my house in England sitting with my mom and my grandmother came and sat on the couch with us or actually was on the bed and she and we were talking, having a wonderful time together. I woke up in the middle of the night. I texted my dad and this was not very common like I don't really get visited by um relatives a whole lot, you know, passed on relatives. This was one of the first times that this happened. So I knew it was significant. I woke up in the middle of the night, I texted my dad, hey, your mom visited me. And then two hours later, he had texted me back, but I didn't get the text until the morning when I woke up. And he said that my grandmother's brother had passed away that night in the night. And right around the time that my grandmother... But when I texted my dad to tell him that my grandmother had visited me and my dad said it, it looks like grandma came to pass through to get her brother and she stopped by and said hi to you.
0: Wow. That's good. I I love the the death the the communication like through this state as as someone is um passing through whatever it is. Um, it just seems so magical and it has given me like a sense of, um, yeah, it just seems right with your cousin. Did you encounter any dreams with him after he passed? I,
2: that's a really good question. I'm not any that is that sticking out, but I, I'm sure I have, I'm sure that I've had him come to me a couple of times in dream state. He always seems to be. 11 years old. It's like a certain age that he always comes into my dream state. Yes. Yeah. But, uh, he, I think maybe two times, two or three times, not, not a
0: whole lot though. And so in this is there, um, so on this, what are your ideas of the state of of death, like so. Again, this is—we're not hanging anything up on. We don't want regurgitated stuff. We want where you feel, which is what you've been bringing the whole time. It's not about um, proving anything here. So, what, what, it, what are your ideas on death? Even though you've really outlined a lot of that already, and and the process of dying. So where do we go, Teresa? What's going on when we leave the vessel? I think that
2: we have well and i think it's different it's it's the same but different depending so i think that we come out of our our souls are in our body i do believe that we're actually our souls are actually here in our bodies somewhere <laughs> i do believe that i know that some people disagree with me but i feel like our soul is local to our heart is what i've always said i don't know why i feel that way but it just i feel that uh, i know some people think that the soul's not non-local but and then i think that we come up into because we're 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 finite we're small here in this physical body and then we expand like our soul expands because we I believe that when we come here, I know that you're talking about death but death, but I have to kind of go backwards in order to talk about that. I feel like we come from the source. Like the the source is the densest center of the Godhead of information. And I believe in the toroidal universe. So it's sort of like the shape of an apple. Yes. And so the way that, and I have always described it this way. And then I learned one day that there's actually something called the toroidal universe. And I freaked out. Cause I was like, that's exactly how I've been described describing this because I can see it in my head. So our souls are ejected out the top of this ball at the center, this super, super dense package of information. That's <laughs> the Godhead. And then we are, our souls are ejected out the top and then we are, living and learning and growing and expanding and and adding information into this tapestry that is the the oversoul and at some point and i believe in reincarnation but this this structure works either way whether you believe in it or not but I'm just going to describe it through the lens of reincarnation. So we're reincarnating over and over. Our souls are growing and growing and growing. And also we have to know that this is all collective. So we're not just separate. We're having this collective experience. At some point we realize that we're one. And then I believe that's like on the outer rim of the apple when we're about to start coming together. So then we start pulling in together. So we start going in toward the center because now we're coming back to the source. And at that point, that's when, you know, some people talk about like fourth density, fifth density, that's like density of the soul or level of consciousness. And that those densities are moving closer to that, uh, the Godhead again. So it's like a a journey of the soul that goes in kind of like a circle. So to answer your question directly, going back to the death question, when we die, we Potentially are going to incarnate here some more if we're still learning lessons if there's still things that we want to experience It's not just about like a lesson like, you know When I say lesson some people think of like in a classroom and they're, you know being scolded But it's really about the experience. It's about learning and growing through your experience So I think that you go to a realm where there's kind of an intermediary because there are different densities When you come here physically as a soul you are traveling through densities You're getting more and more and more physical on this three-dimensional plane and then when you leave out there are different uh vibrational realities or stages or um almost like bands of density or bands of experience or consciousness bands of consciousness that's a good way to describe it and then you can sit in a certain band of consciousness that maybe your other souls that you're friends with you're up there talking about that life and you're the life you just lived and then you're going to go okay now we're going to go back down and we're going to play this scenario out and we're going to learn these lessons and we're going to grow in this way it's all for the experience it's all about growing it's all about moving forward and getting back to source i believe and so maybe there maybe we're going to reincarnate some more maybe we're not maybe if you've done all the things you're supposed to be here and do on this planet you will go Up into maybe you'll go to another planet. Maybe you'll actually, you won't be incarnating in the physical anymore because you're going to be going on and doing greater things. Like maybe you're going to be actually building and growing planets. Maybe you're going to be doing the next level of conscious awareness where you're actually building a planet. How cool would that be? Maybe you're terraforming something. And maybe there are, I believe there are other galaxies that exist that are closer to the source, that they're higher density, they're higher vibration. Maybe we're heading there next. Who knows? How does deja vu play into all of this? I believe that you, there are different phases of deja vu. You can have precognitive deja vu. You can have uh, deja vu from something in the past. You can have deja vu that's actually a multiverse experience happening. So you can be experiencing like a parallel you or a parallel dimension. Uh, I think deja vu can also be a message sometimes from our higher selves or our guides whenever you are approaching a, a some por- important part of this matrix scenario where it's kind of trying to ding you and go hey this is a point where you can choose a different path you can choose a new path you're coming in contact with that information sometimes i have precognitive deja vu um and then sometimes you have a dream that you'll forget and then you'll remember whenever you're actually experiencing it in real life which can cause deja (laughs) vu as well yeah and you
1: can't (laughs) remember if it's for real or from a dream like wait a minute wait a minute what wait you know yeah
0: I always pin it to a dream. So I just want to, I'm going to segue into this and let Jerry drive, but what, so here we go. Let's open the woo woo gate. Um, so what, what brings, what, what are your ideas on all this exo stuff that's going on? And since this seems to be kind of what, where you're steeped in, what your expertise is in at this time, at least, because you, you, You've got a vast background, as we've learned. Um, What are your thoughts on what's going on with all of it, with the whole, all the alien stuff, um, the other races, these other states of dimension? I mean, we could tie D-Wave into this. Um, So I want to just jump into the deep end, and I'm going to let Jerry take over, because it's usually where he goes.
1: I I got how many questions right now? So, well yeah, no, I just okay. started with one. So yeah I I wasn't listening, I was looking at chat.
2: Okay, well I'm gonna answer her question and then you can ask me what Okay. A question. Well, okay. Uh, is that is that you you wanted me to ask the exo question, right? Or answer yeah. Okay, so yeah, I I believe that it's really important right now. We're living in a time where it is crucially important. What is the age of disclosure? This is the uncovering of what's hidden. What does that actually mean? It means that we need to be interfacing with our reality in a new way. It's time to go out into the world. People need to wake up. That's what we're doing. We're bringing that, we're actually causing that disclosure. So when people talk about disclosure, or when are we going to find out about the aliens? It's already there, it's all around you. You don't need anybody to tell you that it's real. So that right there, that core truth, it's happening in such a capacity that it's freaking mind-blowing, guys. It's The amount of evidence is just... It's such a huge heaping mound at this point that you really can't deny it. And that's why we're just so excited to be where we are. I am stoked. I love what I do. I am so... Passionate about the work that I'm doing. Coming from a family that was there during the time of the Rendlesham Forest incident with this huge cover-up. Why are we still hearing about the Rendlesham Forest incident? Why are we still hearing about Roswell? Well, it's because the reality that we are—we've been off planet for a long time. We've got governmental systems in place on this planet that are keeping and suppressing this technology from us. But they're not going to be able to do that forever because the information is just seeping out of all of our pores, and we are raising to a level of consciousness where the lie, it's not working anymore. People are going, yeah, no, that's not real. Nobody nobody really follows mainstream media anymore. Why? Because you have citizen journalists coming out on platforms like YouTube and every other social media outlet you can find, and you can follow the people that you want to listen to. You can do your own research. You can get a really great base level understanding and then go deeper from that in so many different arenas. And that's why I believe people are having more extraterrestrial contact. They're coming in contact with who they are because ultimately we're just mirrors of all the other beings in the world. When you understand oneness, you understand the collective consciousness, you realize that we are all mirrors of each other. And that is where the contact starts. It starts inside of you.
1: Yeah, so (laughs) it was a lot to digest, sorry.
2: (laughs) Sorry, I talk really fast. No,
1: it's okay. No, it wasn't that it was fast. It was just a lot of stuff. Uh, The thing thing that caught me that I was spiraling on was the evidence. There's a ton of evidence. I don't personally see any evidence. So could you cite some? Or, you know, there's like no evidence of aliens to people who are not, you know, in the club, as it were. Right.
2: You, You find evidence... When you look for it, I would say, I think that there, and honestly, it's, it's not important if it's not important to you. I believe that every single person has a path and that path that everyone is on, that each of us is on is so important. And if we can respect each other's lanes and we stay in our lanes and we don't try to tell somebody else what to believe or whatever, then that's going to help us all move forward because this ship is going somewhere. And I I think as far as like related to the extraterrestrial thing, like if, if you're not looking for that evidence, then you're not going to find it. And that's just the reality. That's kind of how I would answer that question.
1: Okay. So I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm 50, 50 on everything. I'm really objective here. So my question is to you, who's so, you know, you're all in on this. What happens when it turns out it's not exactly what you thought or it's something else or...
2: Nothing ever turns out the way you think, usually, in right. my my experience. <laughs> That's so true. Uh, as far as, like, the... Uh,
1: the source the, of this.
2: What do you mean? The source of what?
1: The source of the alien the contact-ers, contact-ers? contact, the contactors. Contactors? You know who I'm talking about. The, mm-hmm. they, the, uh, the entities that contact people. Mm-hmm. You know, what if, you know, I'm trying not to be a dick. I'm not trying to be. You know, what if it turns out to be something other than what you, are believe it to be? How's that?
0: Yeah, I'm. It's a good question, and I don't have an answer. Is it like the demons or aliens kind of thing? What
1: I I didn't want to go there because I don't think that's true either. You know, I don't know what's.
0: I don't know. I'm just trying to parse out what you were saying. I
1: just you know what these people who are these people you you know the the people who are in contact with. These entities constantly, or mm-hmm. have a connection to them, right?
2: I, I know what you're asking.
1: Yeah. yeah. What? What? And it's gonna. Yeah.
2: It's
1: gonna screw people up.
2: Yeah. Okay. I know what you're asking, mm-hmm. and I obviously have thought about this a lot myself, coming from a Catholic background. Mm-hmm. Um, because I mean, you you got to use people throw around the word discernment like it's hotcakes, and really, <laughs> what <laughs> that what that is to me, and I, I taught. A workshop called Advanced Truth Seekers Workshop because mm. it was so needed. Everybody was over here talking about extraterrestrials mm. at Soltech. Well, not everybody, but it was funny. And I came in, I was like, you know what? We need we need an Advanced Truth Seekers Workshop where we're going to bring this down to earth. Because I have a background in education, and so I'm like, I'm just going to go in here and I'm going to talk about discernment. And what I basically did was I created a system where you look at or you learn about intuition, wisdom, and discernment. So you have your intuition. I'm going to give an example. You're a kid and there's a candle and it's lit and you're using your intuition. Your intuition is telling you, you really should touch that candle because it's super enticing. So you go over and then you make a judgment call. What is discernment? Discernment literally means judgment call, ability to make judgment calls. So you discern, you make a judgment call and you touch that candle. Now that candle hurts you. Right. So hopefully you gain wisdom. Wisdom's at the other side where you've now used your intuition, you've used your discernment, you made a judgment call, and now hopefully you've obtained a nugget of wisdom. This nugget of wisdom tells you not to touch the candle. Right. And then this cycle continues and grows and grows and grows. Now, if you're not listening to your intuition or you're not learning from your intuition, then you're not actually growing your intuition. Therefore, people say, Oh, well, my gut was telling me that it was a positive ET. Oh, well, my gut was telling me it was a negative ET. Well, my gut was tell you know whatever okay that's great but have you actually distilled wisdom from the past intuition that you're that you have in your life or are are you just picking through the basket yeah are you just willy-nilly juicing oh well well my gut told me this okay well good for you congratulations but we all have our experiences right so all we can do is look into our own experiences and I can tell you straight up I have had so many contact experiences in the last year and a half of my life. And I have asked that same question you just asked me probably every single day of my life. So I am right there with you, buddy. And I think it's extremely important and it needs to be continually asked. It's never one of those questions that you should ever stop asking. And all I know is that when I, talking about that intuition, discernment, wisdom cycle, I try to keep an open mind and learn from my experiences and, and go okay well now this is a new data point now i'm going to take this into my i call it my data gathering bucket it's always open it's bottomless it's always ready for new information and i continue to try to grow
1: I'm like the exact same thing no that's good uh, the, uh, the follow-up to that would be how intuitively okay how can i rephrase this so you are familiar you know you know what dolores cannon is right Yes. And you're familiar with the sim theory, stuff like that, of the universe being a virtual simulation or something. It's a theory. Okay. Quantum, virtual
2: simulation, quantum, got it.
1: Quantum mechanics. It doesn't matter. Canon's work brought talked about background people, you know, these uh, subconscious projections of people when you're in a uncomfortable place that you would tend to see people at a distance that seem familiar. So your whole body feels comfortable where you're at so imagine you're at a football game in a in a city you've never been in or a country you've never been in your brain would put you know maybe someone that looks like your brother or your mom or whoever in the stands far away and by the time you got there it wouldn't you know either wouldn't be them or they'd be gone because it wasn't a real person you would never heard that okay so now never- theory she says it's real. She's channeled that information. So whatever you take stock oh. in channeling on.
2: So, right.
1: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So there's other people who talk about, there's, there's people, there's theories out there that say that some people here on the planet don't have a completely you know human soul or a authentic soul. They're hybrids or they're AI souls. Never heard this talk, have you?
2: Excuse I've me. oh I've heard these theories. I've I okay. haven't heard that talk, but I've definitely heard what you the, the list talk. you just provided, yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. Okay, but good. as far as the whole like looking into a crowd and like seeing people that you recognize because it gives you a sense <clears> of peace, <throat> I've never heard that.
1: I just use that as an icebreaker to get to the whole AI soul thing. So never mind it. It doesn't matter. Um <laughs> in what I'm going to ask, how do you intuit someone who's not organic on the soul level?
2: How do you intuit somebody that's not organic on the soul level?
1: Yeah, sure. Because if you're talking about your intuitive nature, that's going to work on your energy, right? Oh,
2: you're saying like, how do you know if somebody has yeah. a soul or not? Like if they're an NPC?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes, yes. 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 That's exactly what I'm. <laughs> that's a. Like, well, i am thats I should just went straight for it. Yeah. Okay. So, how do you <laughs> tell if NPCs are legit? Okay. Not,
0: so, not, not
1: you know whether or not they're good or bad or dark or however you want to say it, right? Where they stand on sides
2: yeah can, do you want my yeah do you want my honest answer
1: yeah it took me you long can't. enough to ask the question to Only want an answer to it. you answer
2: can't you <laughs> cannot and i'll tell you why it's very complicated and i know people will disagree with me i don't think you can maybe you can maybe you can everybody's gonna be different maybe somebody's discernment is just like way out of the park and they just can and they're right right but who God. knows? Every I don't, single I don't think you can. have a different level of discernment or capability or functionality there. I mean, like I I can tell you straight out the gate, I was visited by blue gray ETs last year. The little blue and when doctors? They, little blue doctors. Well, they were five feet tall. So I guess they're kind of little a little uh, bit.
1: Different guys. But they
2: were doctors. Okay. Um, but there were five of them standing in my room. And I'm squinting at them and I'm like, Am I sleeping right now? <laughs> it was crazy. And I'm like. And immediately I push my energy field out. I'm like testing the waters. I'm like, are they here to hurt me? Like, what is going on? You know, immediately I'm going, are they bad? Are they good? Cause you couldn't tell, right? You can't, how can you tell? I mean, maybe some people can, but I'm sitting there going like, I can't believe this is happening. It was complete cognitive dissonance. And yeah. So to answer your question, I, I didn't know then. And I don't know now. I don't think that they, or I believe that they were a positive faction. Why? Because I've asked a ton of people who have had experiences with them. I've, you know, I've heard the same. Who knows? I could be wrong, but I really don't think that they were a negative faction because they taught me how to telepathically communicate.
1: Good times. (laughs) It's a good question though. Yeah. No, I just wonder about, I I of course have no contact with them. So I don't know. I am just curious.
2: Yeah. I mean, I've had, I had a contact with a, an inner earth woman back in May and she was like, a sister vibration. And it's interesting because when you go back to dreams or whatever, like you can have dreams where you're like, this is someone that you know, but you don't know their face in the dream. And you're like, Oh, that's definitely my mom. It's like their soul. Like you can recognize their soul in the dream, but yeah. Okay. So in this experience, like I'm standing on the landing at my mom's house and this inner earth woman walks up to the top of the stairs. And this was one of those dreams that was like hyper real. It was way, way more real than waking life. It was so real. And she's standing there and she knew who I was. She had this look of recognition on her face. And she was so excited to see me. And so when you when you think about that kind of vibration, when you're like just in your waking life, if you were to see somebody that you love that you love that you know, like your wife or your husband or whatever, and you have that recognition, that soul recognition that you feel, you resonate with that. Is there's literally a soul resonance that you can feel? Like so, I do believe that on a certain level, we can we can discern and intuit at a certain level because when you feel that resonance you can you're actually vibrating at a frequency mm-hmm. in connection with that other soul so i believe that's kind of the magical answer to the question that you're asking but i do uh, agree with you to have like because i can tell that you know you've got that skeptic in you which is good i have it in me too like we're we're totally seeing eye to eye on that I'm with you. I stand by you in that. Because it, it, people want so badly to have ET contact that I, sometimes I get scared for other people where I'm like, you're going to walk into something that you probably shouldn't have walked right. into. Exactly. And then you're going to be like, oh, but I, I had ET contact or whatever. So I do believe that there are negative and positive factions and that we do need to be very careful.
1: Yes. Um, and no, I'm not necessarily skeptical. I'm, uh, I'm just really curious.
2: Well, good. Stay curious, my friend. Me too.
1: High five. All right, Nish, it's your turn. What you just went to be.
0: No, I'm here. I'm listening. Okay. <laughs> so, all right. And, um, what are your thoughts on, I'm really intrigued with this whole D-wave thing, right? Yeah, and yeah. The, and CERN. The quantum computer and, and CERN and all of that. And how it plays into our perceptions of reality as we're experiencing it now. So, and I don't know if you're, if you're, I just assume you're versed on D Wave computing, quantum uh, computing.
2: Not totally. I'm not an expert. Can you give me a crash course? Jerry?
1: A crash course in quantum computing? It's, yeah. um,
0: well, first of all, Teresa, definitely look up the TED Talk with the guy who's Gordy who Rose. developed it. Yeah, Gordy Rose. Very fascinating. Very fascinating. And,
1: okay.
0: Um, <clears throat> May want to have him on, by the way.
1: Oh, gotcha. He's lost. I'd
0: like to have him on.
1: He's probably downloaded his brain into one of those things. So a, qu- <laughs> a quantum computer is. This is this is the way I remember the way it was explained to me is that it runs on. You're you're a tech person, so you understand what a CPU is and how, like, uh, how how fast it runs. It describes how many instructions it can perform per second, right? Uh
2: huh. Uh
1: huh. uh, Flops, floating point operations per second. That's usually a benchmark on CPUs. They can do trillions of flops per second, teraflops. Uh Anyway, anyway, quantum computers do not run on silicon-based CPUs. They run on these. these CPU blocks or units called qubits. They're quantum bits. So uh-huh. the quantum bit is um, a data. It's an item. It's a. I don't know how to explain it. It's a CPU that's entangled with another CPU elsewhere. It's it's a uh-huh. quantum entangled CPU. So they stack these on top. I think they're up to like a thousand quantum uh-huh. bits now, and the quantum computer uses those alternate those entangled bits to do work as well. And because they're entangled with other quantum CPU bits, right? It just exponentially grows to this cloud that solves your problem before you even have it.
2: Solves all your problems. And but they say story, like
1: there was a story you... that scientists asked the question of it or they got an answer for a question they hadn't asked yet.
0: Right. They say that, like, being in the presence of these massive machines, because they're massive right now.
1: They're giant black um, cubes, by the way.
0: Yeah, which is interesting <laughs> in and of itself. <laughs> um, that there's a, a real, and this could just be, you know, I, one of the things I thought was, like, I wonder how much electricity is actually generating around them. But the, that they um, they feel like there's a, um, a sentience, not a sentience, but where there's a telepathic connection. A presence. Yeah. And so, I mean, and these are scientists. So, I mean, there's, you know, people are in with it or not. There's a great TED talk on it. And there's, it's great. There's great information out there. And whatever you think of it, it's really super fascinating. And as we understand quantum, um, like spooky theory, spooky action at a distance and quantum entanglement and it's this whole same thing it is the same thing, but I think that it's parsed out differently in the papers from what I've read Mm. just slightly. There's nuance there. Um, so that's it. So I guess more so you're probably more familiar with CERN than of course. Well, and just to kind of make a,
2: a note on all this, I mean, with, with the science that we have here, we talk about things like spooky and like to describe something that's happening because they don't, have the understanding to really describe it or they don't have the access to the technology to really describe it so who knows maybe these computers are actually injected with some form of consciousness but the the people or the powers that be that know the truth aren't telling the people that are using them i think that probably is true for a lot of the technology we know or that we use we don't actually know the the core of what's happening i mean there there are so many different layers and compartmentalizations of information. And we are constantly withheld information on the level that we're at here. So we can speculate all day long. But the reality is when I Google D wave, and I go to images, and I look at this big black box, who knows, (laughs) maybe there's like, Maybe there's a freaking es- extraterrestrial
0: inside this box. You know, I'm being ridiculous, but you see what I'm saying? I get you, yeah. Right, yeah, it's, uh, Odyssey 2001 comes to mind. <laughs> but, so, I mean, Einstein, you know, that Einstein... Einstein, cool. yeah. Yeah, so, because Einstein's one to explain that spooky action because things that resonate in the same frequency, no matter where they are in the known universe, are are communicating because of that resonance. And so that's why he called it spooky
2: yeah I, I think that we need to be careful though as a species because you know I don't know if you guys are familiar with the work of Dan winter, but I do believe that it's very important for us to not get psychologically tricked into believing that we do not have everything we need on the soul level inside of us and when we start imparting mm-hmm. our ourselves with AI and this is, I mean, this war, this is the war that's been going on. This is the spiritual warfare that's been going on since the beginning of time that we are taught and brainwashed to believe that we need to be fixed. And this lie goes across all facets of reality. And so it's so important for people to understand that yeah technology cool obviously we need technology we use technology we've expanded we've been able to get, go so much farther in this world because of technology but when it when you it's a slippery slope we got to be careful we can't just let it keep going too far you know we we do need to keep an eye on it and i think what crosses the line for me is and this is, you know, obviously different for everybody, but when we start talking about imparting the technology into ourselves, like, uh, you know, this whole cyborg stuff or implanting ourselves with things, we just have to be careful with that. In my opinion, because we can heal. We have a soul technology inside of us. That is our bliss. That's love though. That when you find that resonance, that is the healing resonance. That's what we have, that is a power that we have. It's a technological power that we have in conjunction with our mother earth, connecting to her and grounding into her. And that is the that is a truth that has been occulted from us from the beginning of time because the negative constructs don't want you to know that. They want you to be controllable. They want you to be controlled. Therefore, they want you to step in to this AI world and and at, not just do it, but want to do it that's the the whole beauty of the lie that that you actually you know go into the cage and you close the cage behind you and then you toss the key out to your masters
0: yeah that it's um i agree i think we have everything in within us and that's one of the great secrets i think it's one of the great secrets within all the mysteries as well it's all you had it all the time dorothy <laughs> right <laughs> You had it all the time. Um but so in- this was
1: all the magic of the uh the uh, monotheism. Mm. They that came in and took this all away from people. They're the Anunnaki.
0: <laughs> Did so with CERN, there's a lot of people um questioning what what the motive is there and um and and what what possible um, effects it could be having on, on our waking lives on this paradigm, which we call the waking life. Yeah. Um, what do you, do you have any, you talk to a lot of people and you talk, you get into some of this stuff more than we do, I think. And, um, what do you think, what do you think is going on there? So, and I mean, just beyond the veil of what they're saying, like, do you think there's more going on?
2: Oh, yeah, definitely i the it's so funny. the mainstream media like just it it's just laughable. I mean they're gonna drip things, but I mean, honestly, like I said before the the truth about a lot of this stuff is just so occulted that it's it's behind the scenes. But I've had my eye on CERN for a while, and I remember learning about that back when we started learning about CERN. That was long ago now, but I remember always being very skeptical about that. I'm like, man, that's that's bad news. that's gonna start some kind of black hole situation. We need to be really careful. And then you start hearing about people talking about the Mandela effect and how after, after CERN got in some facets, people believed it was getting out of control. And then you have this whole wave of like the Mandela effect that people are describing having uh, situations occur that they would remember differently from other factions of people. And some people speculated that not CERN to, was actually,
1: sorry. go ahead. No, oh, I no I was, not to mention the bandwagoners who said, oh, we stopped it. And doing whatever oh yeah i was gonna say the the uh the thing the thing that sticks out in my head that changed is when cern started uh colliding lead particles mm-hmm. they're now i just heard this yesterday they're gonna start colliding gold particles pretty soon
2: well i Which think that
1: interesting it's like okay what kind of alchemy and sorcery are they combining over there
2: Right, but they're trying. That's the beautiful thing right now. And I think that that's what's the core answer that the, this is the the nugget of wisdom. It's not going to work. All of this stuff that's <laughs>
0: that was awesome
2: <laughs> by the bad guys that they're coming in here going, oh my gosh, we're losing control over the people. They are waking up. This is really bad. Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? I don't know. Why don't we uh, collide some gold in the CERN collider? Cool, let's try that. Like whatever is going on let's on the planet. Let's shoot up
1: Las Vegas.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. It's oh, shaken up. It's getting all shaken up. I'm, a cult fan keeps asking Has was, anyone seen the CERN tarot deck?
1: I was trying to get in there to ask. He had a question before that, which I've Let's scrolled see. away. It was basically uh, Do you think CERN is, I don't know if it's a blocking or can block reincarnation?
2: Uh,. Yeah, I'm not, I honestly, I'm not, I don't know about that. I don't know much about that. And I'm looking at, I just Googled CERN tarot deck and I'm not really seeing.
1: I will what... find the link. There's. They... I had
0: no idea there was a
1: CERN tarot deck. They started putting out some tarot cards. I don't know if it's full deck or I don't know. If... Um, I will definitely have to have those though.
2: Maybe y'all could put a link up in the uh, the live
1: chat. Here. Can CERN fuck up reincarnation? That's his question.
0: Oh, <laughs> That's I many. love a cult fan.
1: Yeah, <laughs> he's Great. my best friend. He's awesome. That's he's amazing.
2: Awesome. Um, let me think of. Let me philosophize about this for a second. So, I think that it's very important that we are not doing things to mess up the uh the system. And I do think that there are bad people out there on this world that are just definitely trying to uh bring well, about. Yeah, exactly. So I I think, you know, I'm not trying to be doom and gloom here, but I do believe that we need to be very careful with what we're allowing. This is why, you know, and let me, let me just get on my soapbox for a second. Get up there. Because we can let the bad people do bad things and then bad things will pervade. But we have to be the ones that are going to stand up against that. We can't just go, oh yeah, that's cool. Just do all those bad things because then the bad things are going to get done and then doom and gloom. So. I think it's what what I would like to say for for this question is that it's very important that each of us we find what we're interested in, what we want to change and what we want to uh, really get passionate about and do that thing. You know, if you are looking at some uh, something happening on the planet, you're going, you know, I really think that's bad for the planet. I think that we really need to make sure that that's not happening anymore. Go do something about it. Get out there and start talking about it. Organize with your friends and people and go out and, and actually find something to fix because there are plenty of things to fix and a lot of people doing great work. So I do think it's very important that we stand up to these people doing these bad things, whatever that looks like. I and I'm gonna say right now I don't know that much about CERN. So I I, I, I want to make sure I'm staying in my lane here, you know, but just parroting that across into my arena, you know, I, I spend a lot of my life focusing on how I can spread messages of personal empowerment. So that's really my arena, you know, looking at the disclosure of what's hidden inside of yourself. Um, so every single person that's looking at something that needs to be changed like let's let's get on that page and let's roll with that because there I do believe that if we just sit idly by bad things can happen. We can't let them happen. Someone posted a link, let's see.
1: I posted that. It's the uh Oh. It's the CERN terror. I think it's the Tarot. All the links are wow, added to, this add to is
0: here. Intense. Will you send that to me privately, Jerry, because you know I'm not in the chat. Yes, dear. Thank you. Wow, that's really cool.
2: I like these a lot.
1: I wanna know if I can get a printed copy.
2: Right?
0: I have a Lisa Frank deck that my friend printed up for me. So I have another question, and it's again, it's it's more, I guess, um, philosophical. What so what separates? And I think most of what you've been saying kind of addressed this, but I guess for clarity's sake, so what what is this the nowness we experience as opposed to this state of consciousness where we are? Um, and then all the stuff that plays out collectively. So, you know, there's so much stuff that agitates us that brings us to a higher state of consciousness here. Otherwise, we would just be amoebas. Um, what is this? What is this? What makes this reality here and now more real than anything else we experience? Why, why is this the pinnacle of everything? I I'm not sure if I
2: completely understand your question, but I think what you're trying to ask is like the, the conscious waking life that I've been describing. You're saying what makes that reality more than the other realities? Is that what you're if, asking? If
1: if like all of our dream worlds and astral stuff, if those were all separate, say lives for us, your past and future lives, if you will.
0: Experiences, Experiences,
1: yeah. right? But we're focused, we're stuck here. Anchor, yes, why do anch- we keep waking why up? Why are here? we anchor babies in this? Reality.
2: Because we uh choose to and we've been taught to. So I think that when you are a child, your reality is more permeable and malleable and you can move, you know, we create our own reality. I know that sounds so freaking no, I, cliche. I, I but agree. Answer that to go deeper into what that actually means is that we agree. We agree to the reality that we're in.
1: Allegedly. So- See, that angers me, that answer. Not I'm not mad at you. I'm just saying. In general, because it's like just one more thing that I don't know about that I have agreed to, it's like it just seems like another level of control.
2: well, let me finish my explanation I'm sorry. So, I'm no, so no, sorry. no you're fine no no no, not at all that it's you're totally cool. I think that we yeah, i am when I say that we agree, you're like, yeah, hey yo, I'm cool uh when, when I say that we agree to this reality, I mean. I'm talking about the person. Let me take it to myself. I'm going to go back to being a child, Teresa. And I I agree. I, I agree that, you know, this apple is an apple. And, you know, these are things that you're agreeing to. You're making contracts with everything you interface with. And then you get to a certain level and then you choose that this is more real. But the beautiful thing, the beautiful thing is that this can change at any moment meaning every single moment you have a choice you have free will therefore you can choose at any moment that whatever reality is going to be more real than the other and i think that for people that have woken up which is you know a lot of the people here are there that this is the reality that we're agreeing to, we are able to sit here and talk about dream states. We are able to talk about this uh, this reality that's actually very malleable because we understand and we've agreed to believe that we we get it. So there's there's a whole level of uh, contract that comes into our experience that when you start to blow the lid off of uh, what you've been taught or you know what you've been held back from and then you start to trek into that territory, it it makes you interface once again with that childlike state of openness and flow through that manifestation of consciousness where you're really going back into that conquistador mindset and you're an
0: explorer once again. Cool, That that's good. So what, so, all right. And then, so when we take it to like, experiencers of of stuff of say ets how how it how do you parse out what's real and what's not real well um we there are lots rather... of different ways that you can do that
2: i mean i i think that you have your experience and then you have corroborating testimony uh you have uh you know books research other people their experiences um there are lots of different levels of it also synchronicities um intense synchronicities when you're experiencing something that you are going well i don't know if that's real that can't be real and then you have some okay let me give an example i was visited by et's last year i woke up in the morning and thought maybe that was just a dream. And I went into the kitchen and I was cooking breakfast. Well, first of all, my boyfriend at the time and I, we had a shared dream that night. And love that. And me and him were both taken out of the room onto the ship and showed how to telepathically communicate. We had a shared dream that night. Next morning, we woke up feeling like we had been drugged. Uh, But what what was interesting was that when I woke up in the middle of the night after this like ET experience and I shoot up out of bed. He had woken up three seconds prior and watched me shoot about out of bed. So we woke up at the same time. I go out into the kitchen and it's 2.17 in the morning. My circadian rhythms were completely off. I was wide awake. I thought it was morning time for coffee. It was 2.17 in the morning. I went back in the room. And then I said, and then he said, uh, wow, that was weird. I had a really weird dream. So what would you dream about? And we talked about it. We had a shared dream. And then I told him about the blue grays. And then we went back to sleep. And then in the morning when we woke up, that's when we had felt like we had been drugged. So there was something that happened in between the time that the ET experience happened in the morning. So for those five hours, something happened. And what I think happened is that we were reabducted by the military industrial complex or something because I had an implant in my leg. When I was cooking breakfast the next morning, uh, blood started trickling down my right knee and there was an implant in the back of my leg. Now, two days later, I was visiting some family and I had a family member who didn't know anything about any of this stuff come up to me and said that they had to tell me something and that they were visited by ETs a couple nights before. And I asked, were you dreaming? I said, no, I was wide awake. So there was that synchronicity. So when you, when you pile the evidence on, then that starts to tell a story. Now, if you just take one little piece of evidence, it might be weak, but together with other pieces of evidence, it can be
0: strong. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I hear you. And so as a journalist, when you're um, deep in research and talking to people about, say, incidents or whatever, where do you draw the line as far as do you go with a gut intuition? Um, Because a lot of the stuff, other than having um, other people substantiate you, it seems like there's a lot of, um, there's not a lot of, crumbs and so how do you discern through body language and all that who's telling you what where can where is your line of belief and disbelief as a journalist well in regards to what into experiencers in these stories and stuff like this um as far as the et phenomena
2: I feel like that's an extremely broad question. Um, The ET phenomenon, like that is such a huge question that it's kind of hard. Because I do believe that there's a lot of evidence to suggest that actually, like
0: tangible evidence, um, for sure. Well, I'm talking about like within the um, narrowed down into the experiencers um, stuff. So like the experience you just had, what uh you wanted, you just gave several incidents, uh, several aspects of your boyfriend experiences too. Then you have this on your leg, those kinds of things. So that it's grounded into whatever this waking life is. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. when you're talking to people as a journalist out in the world and say, so it doesn't, and I'm not talking about anyone in particular. I'm I'm just saying open as a journalist and Mm -hmm. you're, you're on a trail of something. Right, right. Where do you draw the line? So do you, I, I agree, there's a lot of evidence if there's something going on, for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think most people are looking at it, see that too. But where do you draw the line as a journalist on stuff? Do you, gotcha. you, you got where I'm at? Yeah, okay. I see what you're saying. So
2: I I think the the problem I'm having is that uh, drawing the line itself, like that that phrase or that that archetype of drawing a line is sort of not is that specifically is what I'm not resonating with because what I how I teach this how I teach journalism and mm-hmm. my process of exploration is that it's a process it's just that a process you're never drawing lines because you're going through cycles and this is what I teach in my workshops this is what I teach in my YouTube channel on stages across America I, I specifically describe this as a process and you go through cycles where you're learning and you're growing. Therefore, you're constantly... We are finite manifestations of the infinite. We're, we're infinite, but we're having a finite experience currently. Therefore, there is always more to learn and know. There's You're never going to know everything. So you're interfacing with the mystery. Uh, we are riding the wave between the known and the mystery always. So you're always just... Trucking new territory. So when you're interfacing with information, it's important to keep an open mind because when you're learning the truth, it's a process. And especially when it comes to ET contact, things that are uh, extra physical, they're they're higher than third dimension or outside the realm of the third dimension. Therefore, we cannot use three dimensional tools to track things that are happening in outside of this dimension therefore we need to get creative how do you do that well you need to listen to testimony you need to do all the things that you can do and then you need to keep an open mind as we are uncovering or disclosing that which is hidden so we are trekking into new territory now where because we the veil is lifting and because so many of us are interfacing with this reality that back in the day was just seen as not real (laughs) But now people are having these experiences and you can't deny it anymore. So Mm -hmm. we need to keep an open mind. We need to listen to each other and we need to not pass judgment as we go through this experience. That's so freaking important. And that's why when I think of like drawing the line in the sand, I'm going, well, I'm not really going to do that because who am I to tell somebody that their experience isn't real? I, I can't. I can't do that. And I won't do that because i know that i take journalism seriously it's who i am it's in my dna it's it's literally who i am therefore it's it's philosophy you're you're a conquistador of philosophy and exploration as a journalist you're never supposed to be saying oh well this is wrong this is right you're in the process you're in this growth process that's so beautiful and is really existing in that abyss of the subconscious, while trying to make some creative uh, conscious points out of this flow as we're moving forward, and then figuring out where we're going. And it's just a
0: beautiful journey. And Teresa, you're great. This is um, I, I like that. That's all I look for in people. Really, is an open mind and a sense of humor. So, and then I can connect with you. And um, I think you've been really. Uh, you're you've you've become more dimensional for me and um, broadened how I perceive you and what you're doing, which is fantastic. I am thrilled. I actually have nothing, nothing more, but I I'm leaving this interview thrilled. Um, You've just been, you've been wonderful and it's surprisingly so I didn't know what to expect.
2: Oh, awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for having me on. This has been a blast and I really had a lot of fun with you guys.
1: Likewise. Thanks for coming on. See, I told you it'd be fun. (laughs) so cool um i've got your links in the show description if anyone needs them and is there anything else you'd like to plug or talk about or new things coming up or What's happening? Absolutely. You know, yeah.
2: yeah. So I have my website, the divine frequency.com. You can follow me on there. I'm also on YouTube at divine frequency. And we have all kinds of stuff coming up. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Portal to Ascension, October 4th. I will be speaking. I'm going to be talking about extraterrestrial contact and the etheric battery. So we're going to be talking a lot about uh, extra physical contact and what that means for you, uh how to become the initiate, stepping into personal power, all that kind of juicy stuff. Uh, after that, actually, We are launching, oh my gosh, I'm so excited for this. Above Majestic is coming out, this documentary about implications of the secret space program that is being dropped on October 31st. We are gonna be explaining a lot more about that thing happening. It's gonna be a party and I can't drop the knowledge totally just yet, but wait for a couple of days and that's gonna come out. We've got a whole big thing happening then. And then, uh, yeah, that's pretty much what we have going on. I'm gonna be traveling a lot coming up. We've got uh, documentaries that we're building. We've got so many amazing things, events happening uh, across the board. We've got global meditations coming out uh, probably in Washington, D.C. over the next couple of months. Uh, so yeah, just stay tuned and you can follow me at the divine to find out more.
1: Fantastic. Right. Well, I'd like to thank everyone who uh, showed up in the live chat tonight. It's great to have you here. Thanks again. Thank you, Nish. And be sure to tune in next week when our guest will be uh, Jenny Moonstone is next week, right? Next week's October, too. We're starting our our witchy month of Halloween for for October. October. (laughs) We have some great guests coming up. Um, After that, we've got Jenny. We've got Solaris Blue Raven and Thomas Sheridan after that. So some real interesting shows. So, all right. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Have a great night. And we will see you next week.
0: Goodbye, everyone.